Welcome into a new edition of the Going Deep Buffalo podcast. I'm your host today, Kevin Masseri. As always, here with Kevin Syracuse to break down a very important number two seed victory last week against Miami, as well as getting into Pittsburgh. We have a wonderful Pittsburgh Steelers guest coming on here from Lockdown Steelers and the Gazette. Uh, looking forward to that too in the middle of the show. And we'll give kind of our final thoughts, wrap ups here as we get to the end of the show. But there's a lot to talk about before that point. First and foremost, Kevin, how are you doing today? I feel great, Kevin, because after all that, the Bills are not only in the playoffs, but they are hosting at least one home playoff game, and they jump from the 11 seed to the two seed in a matter of weeks. Yeah, I mean, hey, that's the jump that uh, was needed. It was expected. I mean, they did end up having a grace game. They would have gotten the seven seed with one loss in those final games due to the Titans beating the Jaguars on the final week of the season. Uh, so they didn't technically need all of them, but they sure did to win the division. Uh, you could not rely on the Titans pulling that one off. So the Bills would have had to return back to Miami in a game where the Dolphins are extremely beat up and having to travel to Kansas City here this weekend as well uh, on Saturday Night Football on Peacock. I don't know. I'm not sure that that's going to gonna go well for them with an entire defense missing. So uh, with that being said, the Bills are now going to be hosting the Steelers, and we'll get into that game here momentarily with our Steelers guest. But yes, Kevin, first we're going to address, Kevin, uh, the clip that we had um, right, at, right before the Eagles game, actually, where it was – 11 weeks uh, ago. Yep, right after the Jets win. Uh, Brady had his first good performance as the Bills offensive coordinator. We were predicting the, the, the Eagles game at the time. Um, and your prediction was an Eagles loss to the Eagles. Um, you know, the Bills almost did pull that game off. But then you said after the bye that the Bills would roar off five straight, but not only five straight. You mentioned that you thought that the Dolphins would slip enough uh, and they ended up slipping enough. They lost three out of the last five to, as usual, they do uh, to be playing the Dolphins on some form of primetime football for the two or for for the division. Um, and. You know, long and behold, the Chiefs lost one game in there, too, to the, a Raiders team and ended up also getting the two seed in the process uh, now with a with a pretty decent looking bracket. Now, Kevin, how are you feeling about that quote? Like what? Tell, tell us a little bit about uh, how it feels to, to be on that quote. Again, it feels really good because there were so many people that didn't believe me. And even when I said it at first, I was like, man, if, if I'm wrong, like I could look like a fool in a few weeks because that was probably the biggest turmoil in Sean McDermott's career right after the whole Tyler, Tyler Dunn piece. And just, we thought that he could potentially be losing the locker room. The fan base was going nuts. Twitter was up in blazes and somehow he pulled it together. And just like my prediction said, it came down to that pivotal week 18 matchup versus the dolphins. And that was just the ultimate feeling right there. When I could go back on all those comments and say, who's laughing now? Because I'm not one to necessarily brag or say, hey, look at this. But this is the one moment where I was like, you know what? No, I, I'm going to I'm gonna get my respect for this because no one was pre predicting that. I mean, I know there are a few people here and there that were saying, oh, well, you know, I thought they could have. I kind of agreed with you. But this is the one moment where I feel like I can actually, I don't want to say brag, but I'm not scared to post about it and say, Look who predicted this seven weeks ago and look who said that I was wrong. And now look who's correct. Yeah, I think what's interesting, too, about yours is you predicted it after a loss. So, you know, of course, there's always going to be people that are like, the Bills are going to win out. Like, that's kind of just like a blanket statement for people that are um, very pro Bills. Uh, it's a very commonly said thing. 
Um, just, just, just because why not? Right. Um, but I think yours was interesting because you mentioned not only the win out, which was very, was plausible. That part of it was plausible. Um, but you picked, you picked it after the Eagles loss and you predicted it, um, for the division, which bills, they, they needed them to lose two games before that, before the bills dolphins game, they needed them to lose to either the Cowboys Titans or jets. Um, and as well as the Ravens, uh, I think most people are pretty confident the Ravens would pull that off, but you didn't necessarily know if they would lose to the Titans or Cowboys, and they beat the Cowboys and, and, and did end up uh, dropping to the Titans, which makes that a uh, very, uh, very interesting prediction. So as we kind of look through this game now, you know, fast forward now to today, or excuse me, Sunday night football, the last game of the year, the Bills basically, you know, were in a s- offensive slumber um, in terms of, of points. Their drives looked really good. They're moving the ball at will. I mean, once again, it reminded me of the Dolphins game last season uh, where the Bills are fairly outgaining um, the Dolphins. They're do- the Dolphins were playing stingy on defense, but not great. Uh, really didn't look that great on D. You had a Josh Allen miscommunication with Gabe where he just kind of threw it up and hoped. Um, you know, He had a, another fourth down where he was stopped and just kind of threw it in the end zone, which was a punt, essentially, um, the ball. you know, He ended up saving yards on that, so that's not a big deal. Uh, as well as getting stopped on the half-yard line on a head-to-head co- uh, contact, uh, thus putting Ty Johnson in concussion protocol, by the way. Missed call, however, still shot, stopped short of that of that goal. So what is your what is your opinion on that first-half offense? Um, I mean, they did get it, end up getting it right toward the end of the game, but, you know, obviously fourth quarter Josh has been a thing. Um, he's, he's left the game with a lead in four out of six losses. Four out of six losses, uh, insane. So Josh Allen's going to give his team a chance to win every single football game. What is your opinion on on the way that that game went? It was just reminiscent of last year's Miami game. I think I had two takeaways from that. One, I believe Josh Allen said this after the game, that it was a microcosm of their season where you just didn't know if it was going to turn around, and then it did in the end. And my takeaway was that was the full Josh Allen experience on full display. And Chris Collinsworth said it on the broadcast, and I was saying it right along too, because I talked about that on the show last week, saying how we need Josh to be Josh, because with that, you know you're going to get some good plays, but then you're going to get a couple of boneheaded plays. And we saw those during the first half, where it's like, Josh, you can't be just throwing that down the field, chucking it up. And you mentioned the miscommunication with Gabe Davis. He had the fumble. Of course, Christian Wilkins was the one who recovered it. But that was what I was saying last week, that we're going to have to live and die with those because with those bad mistakes come the really good plays. And when the game is on the line, you can count on Josh Allen to completely take over a game. And I have one picture here that I cannot stop looking at between the picture, the screenshot, and then the video. This is just insane, and it completely shows what Josh Allen can do for the Bills and just for a game in general. I tweeted this, and I said, not many quarterbacks can do this. Look at that. He picked up the first down. It's third and 13, and he's getting tackled by Christian Wilkins, who is a very big defensive tackle. Wilkins couldn't wrap him up. Josh slid out of it, and then he blew past two defensive backs, and rolled slash dove for the first down and then got a few more yards on top of it. I mean, that is just one heck of a play. And for what it's worth, another humble brag, Steve Tasker retweeted me, so that was pretty cool. But that just shows 
the dominance that Josh Allen can have. Where again, you take the first half and you're like, I don't know what's going on, but you will never count out Josh Allen because he has the ability to make those amazing plays and completely flip a game like he did on Sunday night. Yeah, what's interesting too is I made sure I saw others take that image and uh, claim that they happened to just capture that exact moment an hour after you with the almost exact screenshot. So I made sure to call that out. A couple of people were like, well, it's free stuff. I'm like, yeah, it is. But like, don't take the same screenshot. Like literally <laughs> like um, – uh, I thought that was funny. Uh, I noticed that. I, and it does, it is like a sticking point like that I have, like it, a, a, across all of, of clinching. See, we'll call it clinching season. Um, you know, people were very, very generous um, with making sure that my information was then used for their information. Um, so, you know, I, I, I feel for you there, but it was a great clip. Uh, it was a good, I didn't actually, I knew he did some wonderful work, but I didn't realize he did that kind of work there. I mean, it, it, it probably would have been two yards, three yards short, roughly even fighting. Um, but the way, what he was able to do uh, to Jerome Baker there and Jerome Baker, by the way, uh, was, 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 was applauding his own hit to Ty Johnson um, earlier in that game saying sure or denied or whatever access denied or whatever he said. Uh, interesting on a concussion uh, that was a penalty. Like, I'm not sure that I would have brought that to light. You're going to see yourself with a fine there, brother, uh, coming up um, soon uh, for that hit to the head of Ty Johnson. But, you know, there's a lot to take away, like how good um, they played this. The defense played, right? Like, we talked about the offense a little bit, but the defense specifically was really good uh, in this football. And they've been good. They're third DVOA uh, since that, like, stretch of six and six football. Uh, they've played solid football against the top offenses in the league. Uh, they have dominated in stretches on defense. And at some point, it isn't just lucky. At some point, they are playing wonderful defensive football uh, in this game. And and at times, missing four key players uh, throughout, including a linebacker in Matt Milano, his backup in Terrell Dodson, which are two key players to this defense. Um, you know, we'll see if Dodson is able to go. He is uh, with a labrum and rotator cuff injury right now. So we'll see if he's able to play through that similar to Jordan Phillips last season, or if he is not going to be able to go uh, in this game as well as obviously Trey white. And then his, you know, kind of successor in, in Rasul Douglas two top 20 corners against the passing offense. He thought that may have been the sentence especially down 14 to seven. You thought maybe that was the thing that was going to uh, will Miami to win uh, there. But Dane Jackson came in, made a few plays, got picked on right when he first came in. But right after that does the Dane Jackson thing where he adjusts, uh, starts to play better, starts to get into a flow and starts to break up some balls. So my problems with him early on were his inability to break up balls. And we saw that on his first drive, but data doesn't support me there. Uh, data says he does get his hand on balls and that he does break up a lot, including at the end of the game where he broke up, uh, or excuse me, well, didn't break it up because he got a call for a penalty. Uh, but that penalty was huge because if, I mean, Hill was banged up, but he's at least getting down to the 20 yard line. Uh, if he catches that, that pass, because there was no one there behind him beside a safety. And at the bare minimum, he's taking it inside the red zone. If not taking it to the house, uh, would have left Josh with a little bit of time, but, uh, ultimately, that would have been a bad situation. So it was a good penalty, a five-yard penalty there, uh, or just pass interference. So essentially, it was like more like 10 to 15-yard penalty. But it was a good penalty uh, leading up to the two Taylor Rapp plays, one knocking the ball away on a good play, and then the interception, which we haven't seen all season. Uh, but back, what a drive to show up for Taylor Rapp uh, in this football game. But as always, Kevin, this show is brought to you by Sons of Erie. 
www.sonsofeerie.com. Check out the cool artwork behind me. Uh, one of my cool favorite pieces that did come from Sons of Erie, as well as their new apparel. Uh, one Before I Die, really cool looking design. You get in a hoodie, you can get in a sweatshirt. Uh, Champion, one of my favorite brands, actually. Uh, you can go out and get that www.sonsofeerie.com to check out the different colors and selections for their limited edition artwork and occasional apparel uh, like you see on the screen. And tonight's show is also brought to you by Tuscany Market and Deli in Fredonia. Tuscany is a locally owned Italian deli and specialty grocer, offering an old school butcher shop with homemade sausage, burgers, and more, as well as a full-scale deli, subs and sandwiches, fresh produce, Italian imports, kitchen supplies, home goods, and much more. You can find Tuscany on Facebook and Instagram and visit their shop at 450 East Main Street, right on the corner of routes 20 and 60 in Fredonia. And we appreciate Tuscany for also being a proud sponsor of the Going Deep Buffalo show and the Built-In Buffalo Network. We have some great shows on this network, so make sure you check out all of them. And please smash the like button. A lot of people watching the show tonight, if you could smash that for me, that would mean a ton to me. It helps us bring amazing content, amazing sponsors, and really great production. But furthermore, we have a guest coming on here in a short bit. A few over 10 minutes, uh, we'll get him up here. Looking forward to having him uh, breaking down the Steelers. A game the Bills. Well, they seem to play almost yearly now, at least every other year. Um, but, you know, we'll it's a game where they're not overly common. You know, they're playing a third quarterback of the year. Um, you know, we're going to talk to them about what their offensive philosophy is going to be and, and more here at the 2v7 matchup. And I got some interesting 2v7 matchup statistics. 0 for 6 against the 2 seed so far since the induction of the 7 seed uh, with uh, – pretty badly getting outscored some of the closer games have been that dolphins game last year uh, as well as a colts game against the bills so a couple the two against the bills the bills have now earned the three seed three times out of the four possible times post by the other time being kansas city uh, when the bills had the three seed and had to go up for uh the divisional round 13 seconds game uh but other than that the bills have been honed into this two seed uh in this in the, in the latter part of this schedule uh, they just always seem to be right there there's always one team whether it's the titans Usually the Chiefs, or in this case, the Ravens, that did earn the one seed. The all-important one seed, but we'll see. The Ravens rested their starters uh, with a very interesting decision. Came out looking terrible in the rain. Uh, and then they have a bye week, so we'll see how that looks for them as they face off maybe against the Browns, uh, maybe against the Texans, maybe against the Dolphins. So we'll see how that all plays out here uh, as we break that down in more next week. But to kind of wrap the Dolphins game up, you, you saw a propensity of Josh Allen to be himself. Um, I think that's what you called for. And you saw it in one, and he called it himself. You saw it in the microcosm of the game. You saw him make some of those throws that he was making against the Jets week one. Uh, but at the same time, you saw some of the special plays that he can make and ultimately win you a football game. He did continue his stretch of two touchdowns uh, against the Miami Dolphins in his entire career. Uh, he has done that in every game against the Dolphins, throwing two touchdowns, uh, which is remarkable. He continues to win against them 10 out of the last 11. Um, you know, really losing his first game, the Charles Clay drop, and since then has only lost to the Heat game uh, last year in Miami. In a very similar game, the difference was the Bills had a big-time punt return from Deontay Hardy. Uh, what a time for him to show up. We had the Brandon Bean special. I'm going to get your opinion on this, Kevin. The Brandon Bean special game. Like, some of these guys hadn't shown up a ton. Rap was there a little bit. Not didn't play great football. You know, I haven't seen Damian Harris. You know, he had his unfortunate-looking uh, injury, head-neck injury. Uh, but then, you know, you have Surefield good on special teams, hasn't really produced much in the offense, come on with the big play, a huge play in the end zone, really heads up play. Not sure what Josh was doing on that play uh, specifically. 
And then you saw the big Deontay Hardy punt return touchdown and a pretty good play to get the ball and get out of bounds before half to even set the bills up in a makeable situation to go score a touchdown uh, before. And then the Ty Johnson play, Ty Johnson's been a nice boost, um, potentially should have scored there beside a head-to-head contact, knocking him out. Uh, and then a little bit of Leonard Ford, not another bean sign. So you got these guys on one-year deals um, that have shown up and shown out for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, and this was the game they needed them. Like they, they haven't done a ton to this point. Uh, but what is your opinion on them all showing up in the same game to win the division? Kind of poetic, isn't it? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because if you didn't, I was going to because I tweeted after the game that outside of Josh Allen, the three heroes of the game were Deontay Hardy, Trent Sherfield, and Taylor Rapp. And I don't think anyone would have had that on their bingo cards going in because you're thinking, okay, Allen, Diggs, Terrell Bernard, Leonard Floyd, and to their credit, like everyone did their part, everyone played well. But that touchdown catch by Trent Sherfield, where he just dragged his feet and caught, I mean, it was off of Van Ginkle's helmet, and Sherfield had the patience and the concentration to be able to get both of his feet in and tie the game up. Or was that, did that make it 14 7? Or 7-7, seven, seven, right? 7-7, seven, seven, yep. Tied yeah, game. okay. And then when it was 14-7, Deontay Hardy completely changed the momentum oh, of that yeah. game because when he returned that, you could just feel how it was over for Miami. When you saw that sideline view of all of Bill's Mafia, I yep. counted. There was a screenshot. I found maybe 5 to 10 teal and orange jerseys. The rest was blue and red. It was just taken over by Bills fans. It was amazing. It really felt like a home game. And then obviously with Taylor Rapp, I I, I kind of forgot about this, to be honest. I went back and I was watching the end of the game last night on the NFL Network, and I forgot Taylor Rapp had that pass breakup right before the game-ending interception. So he made back-to-back great plays on that last drive. And looking at it from the macro point of view, Taylor Rapp, Trent Sherfield, Deontay Hardy, stars of the game. That's got to feel really, really good for Brandon Bean because, to your point, they haven't done a lot this year. I mean, they've contributed in their own way, but they haven't really shown up on the box score. And now they make a huge impact in the biggest game of the year. And one other thing that I want to say about Deontay Hardy is he has made arguably two of the biggest plays for the Bills this season. Because when it was 17-17 in Kansas City with about five and a half minutes left, he caught a beautiful 25-yard pass on third and five from Josh Allen, which set up the game-winning field goal for Tyler Bass. And I think that play gets forgotten about too. So Hardy hasn't shown up a lot on the box score, but he shows up when it matters most. And man, that, that just shows how good of a team this can be. And, and you know, someone like Ryan Vandemark, Deion Dawkins has his hand literally almost cut off or his finger, I guess, bleeding all over the place. And Ryan Vandemark steps in and does a great job, has a couple of really nice blocks on those James Cook runs. And you're 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 starting to see how this team is coming together at the right time. And, you know, we all think of Allen Diggs and all the top guns, but this just shows what they can do and how their depth has been tested this year. And, I keep saying one more thing, but I got to say this real quick, too. The fact that they held Miami, the number one offense in the NFL, to zero points and just 57 yards of total offense in that second half, it just tells you everything you need to know about what Sean McDermott has been able to do with this defense, who is without Matt Milano, who is without Trey White. And then in that second half, they were without Russell Douglas, 
and Tyrell Dodson. It is literally just plug and play, and every guy has been stepping up to the challenge, and it is just so much fun to watch. I think to your point, nine possessions. So before that punt return, here's here's a good percentage example. As everyone knows, I like data. 83% chance for the Dolphins to win when Tua passed to Tyreek Hill to the Miami 42 for 15 yards on Terrell Bernard. At that stage of the game, there was 12 seconds left in the third quarter. 83% win probability for the Miami Dolphins in that game. Uh, Jeff Wilson then ran for six yards, and it was looking pretty promising. Um, but the problem there was there was an illegal man downfield. All of a sudden, uh, uh, A-Chan lost a yard, and then the next thing you know, the big punt return happens. Um, and that that was a pretty big moment for the Bills um, because they were able to get that punt return. And it was a pretty good punt. Um, put it there. I saw the space that Hardy had. I thought he was going to get to the 20. Same thing as a touchback. So it was like kind of neutral on it. I was like, okay, I can see usually he does wiggle. I get 10 yards per return. Maybe probably get it up to the 20. Not bad. You don't know for sure that ball's going in the end zone. So it was, was cool with it. But then when I saw he had the daylight at the 20, um, you know, that's when I thought, um, you know, this, this could be a different football game. And they did, they lost all their momentum. Uh, Danny Crossman later says today, kick return and punt returns don't change games. You actually, um, statistically lose games, uh, when you score a punt return touchdown, the things that affect the game more are blocked kicks and punts is what Danny Crossman said. So major, major, uh, quote there from the dolphin special teams corner and friend of the bills, a uh, former special teams coordinator, Danny Crossman, but nine possessions, Kevin, only two touchdowns. You know what happened in the other seven possessions? Five punts and two interceptions. Um, so seven possessions, you stopped the Miami Dolphins out of nine. Um, and you did it the first time. It isn't just lucky. Um, you know, Mike McDaniel struggles against Sean McDermott. Outside of one game where Josh dunks it in front of Isaiah McKenzie in the end zone, uh, and then they weren't able to get out of bounds in the final possession. Outside of that game, Mike McDaniel struggles, and they didn't score a lot of points in that game either. Mike McDaniel struggles. I thought Mike McDaniel's best work was against them in the playoffs with limited roster. That was his best work in the wild card round. Outside of that, the regular season games have not been good with the Bills stopping them on 78% of possessions. Uh, that's just uh, that's just not going to get it done. Uh, if you're Mike McDaniel, you got to be a little bit better than that uh, in this specific game. Um, and look, their fans are they're melting. Three losses, losing to the Titans. Okay, they, they said that was their one bad loss. Then they beat the Jets and Cowboys and thought things were back and then just lose out to the Ravens and Bills, uh, now missing a bunch of their starters. I don't, I don't think with the weather conditions to is never one under 45 degrees. I don't think that there's much hope to go to Kansas city, even their, this Kansas city team. Uh, so it was a good score by the Kansas city chiefs who have already beat them this year. It was a good score for them because it's, 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 it's a good way for them to advance and make it to Mahomes' first time in Buffalo, um, with fans. He's never played in Buffalo with fans, uh, in his career. Uh, and, uh, he doesn't play on the road in the playoffs. So it's going to be an interesting couple of check boxes with a pretty limited offense. Um, but it's Patrick Mahomes. He's MVP caliber. He's reigning MVP, um, of the league. Oh, not, you know, probably not anymore once Lamar Jackson wins it, but, uh, he, he is still a guy that I don't want to see would rather pretty much see anybody else in the playoffs, but we'll get to that game in more. We have our Steelers guest here coming on shortly. Kevin, give me your final wrap-up thoughts of this Dolphins game before we turn our attention to the 2-7 game, ultimately way more important now than um, the Dolphins win. Well, I think that we definitely need to talk about Sean McDermott because I know okay. I mentioned him at the outside of this, but this is a different coach. And I am so happy for Sean McDermott because a couple of things here. First of all, 
he went for it twice on that game possession for the Bills. Now, actually, hang on. No, no, no. They didn't score there. See, there are so many different possessions. It's so hard to keep track, which is why it's good to go back and watch. Because when I was watching last night, I'm like, man, I can't like I, I, I can't believe sometimes how much you miss because I was pacing back and forth and I'm just so emotional. And then you sit back and you watch because you know the outcome. And then you're like, oh, that happened there. And oh, Chris Collinsworth said this there. Like, I totally missed that. So it's yeah. good to go back and watch because you get so wrapped up in it. But um, so the Bills scored. They made it 21-14. They did not score on this possession. But I think it said a lot about Sean McDermott because he went for it twice on fourth and one. One in his own territory on their own 35-yard line. And he trusted Josh Allen and the offense to get the job done. I don't think Sean McDermott would have done that a couple of years ago. And I don't think Sean McDermott would have done that a couple of weeks ago. Even this is a changed man where we were all getting on him at the halfway point of the season and rightfully so. But the fact that he trusted his offense to go get the job done and put the game in Josh Allen's hands, who I mentioned, that is why we love Josh Allen. We are going to ride or die with him because even though he'll make a couple of boneheaded mistakes, we will trust that he is a complete dog and can get the job done when it matters most. And he had so many incredible throws and runs on those final couple of possessions. And the way that Sean McDermott spoke after the game, that was a legendary interview with Sal Capaccio and Sean McDermott. I have never heard McDermott that emotional before. Like, it literally gives me chills thinking about it, where McDermott was almost in tears. And he was like, Bill's Mafia, man, like, I love him so much. Can't wait to see you guys at the airport. Sure enough, 5 a.m., I was still up because I couldn't sleep. I'm just getting ready to go to sleep. And I see the notification from the Bills saying that, Bills Mafia, you guys are the best. And I'm like, are you kidding me? They really packed this place. And then Deion Dawkins put on his Instagram story, 45 seconds worth of video. It wasn't just a little cluster of fans. That airport was packed. That shows how much it means to this fan base and how much it means to Sean McDermott. And man, it just felt so good. The fact that the Bills, with everything that they went through this year, everything that Sean McDermott went through, they were able to turn things around and get get the job done, win the division for the fourth year in a row, and earn the two seed. Very impressive. Uh, but it's time to turn the page, right? Like, ultimately, that was great. Congratulations. They do it every year now, four straight years for the Bills. Uh, we know that collapse comes for the Dolphins. It just always does. They just They just don't win late in the year. Uh, you know, the Patriots have fallen, fallen right off. The Jets are a mess. So we know that that's going to come. Uh, but it's just, it's great. Like I said, the Bills with the two seed, three out of four seasons since the induction of the seven seed. Um, and they play in the 2v7 game quite frequently. But what's important is getting through the 2v7 game, discussing the 2v7 game. That is way more important now at this stage. They got their shirt and their shirt and their hat. That's great. Uh, but everybody likes to say it's not about these division wins. Uh, that's one of the biggest things held over the Bills' hand uh, head is that they win these games. Uh, but ultimately, then what are they going to do in the uh, the wild card round, the division round, the conference round? Uh, those are the things that we need to discuss. And I would not pick anybody else to discuss it with in the two v seven game than Christopher Carter of Locked On Steelers, uh, as well as the Pittsburgh uh, Post Gazette going to bring up Christopher now. Christopher, thank you so much for coming on, Chris. How are you doing today? How's it feeling in Pittsburgh? I mean, that was that was a pretty great way to win the weekend, get a little help from the Titans, because ultimately, um, if you know the Titans didn't win that, that would have been a, a really hairy situation, right? 
I said, uh, as you know, you know Pittsburgh is known for having the the three rivers that meet at the convex of the city. And I said, if the Titans had not won that game, there would have been a fourth rither of sweat of Steelers <laughs> fans just watching that Dolphins-Bills game like, oh, no, come on, how are they letting this happen? So the Steelers fans are very gracious. And then there would have been a fifth rither of tears after the Bills pulled that off. Uh, because the Steelers would have been out of the playoffs. But, you know, um, there's excitement. Uh, a lot of Steelers fans are right now feeling, uh, you know, you know, a little bit of optimism because, you know, not the, sim- the same way the Bills have experienced it with Joe Brady, but, you know, the Steelers dumped their offensive coordinator and, you know, they've seen an uptick in offense. They've scored 30 points twice in the last three games uh, with Mason Rudolph at quarterback. And there's a sense that, hey, you know, a why not us type of feeling in in, in Pittsburgh right now. Um, even without T.J. Watt playing, uh, they're getting back Minka Fitzpatrick. Uh, the Steelers have been a team that they 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 want to drag you into the mud. They want to get a dogfight, and um, they uh, they've, they've inspired some confidence. So there's certainly a sense of excitement right now in Pittsburgh just to, to see some playoff football for the third time in four years. Yeah, pretty impressive. Like I said, Bills were in the same boat. I mean, they were essentially rooting for the same kind of path. Um, you know, obviously they did fortunately control their own destiny. Most Bills fans still had hope that. You know, if you've watched this Bills Dolphins series, it's it's kind of like those. You know, the, the Chiefs have fallen a little bit this year to their division, but the Chiefs just generally don't lose to their division. Uh, lately, the Bills have been the same uh, and the same guys. The only team that really nips them is is the Jets occasionally with Robert Sala uh, with their defense, but generally the Bills are able to pull off these division games. And Mike McDaniel, as we've talked about prior on the show just does not seem to have an answer for Sean McDermott and his defense. Uh, he's struggled mightily um, in his, in his time in the Bills, stopping him on seven out of nine drives, um, which was, which was very impressive, but fast forward to this game. It's a totally different game, totally different team. Uh, the Bills are used to fast speed motion, uh, a lot of different tricks that McDaniel speed pitches, uh, a lot of different deception. Uh, I mean, quite frankly, you're going to get a Steelers team that changed a quarterback, they went from like what 27th or 28th DVOA offense with Canada. I, th- I thought our EPA, I believe, uh, for some of the stats I was reading, uh, just poor performance from him, uh, as always. And, and you know, you know, Mike, uh, you know, you see that kind of offensive play, but now you're going to a Najee Harris who's looked really good lately underneath the new offensive coordinator, a uh, guy that I, I, I even saw your Steelers fans calling him bust at some point. Um, talk to me about that rebirth. Uh, the run game a little bit with Najee Harris. Guy I've always liked. The Bills liked him too. The Bills wanted a chance at him. I know that for sure. Talk to me about it. Like what's going on in the run game? Why is Najee being way more effective uh, than even I saw him earlier this year? Like what what changed with the run scheme? Is Mason Rudolph doing something different? Is it offensive scheme calling? I mean, you can't really change the playbook too much. So I guess talk to me about the run game and, and Harris and obviously the threat in Warren too. So the thing is, is, I've said for a few years now, like since Najee Harris got to Pittsburgh, I'm like, this guy's dealing with with you know defenders in the backfield regularly. When people were saying he would call him a bust, and I'm like, we have to acknowledge a few things. One, when Najee Harris was drafted, the Steelers' offensive line was completely revamped. Uh, Marquise Pouncey had just retired. David DeCastro was supposed to be the leading factor of that group. He was an All Pro, a regular All Pro for that offensive line, and then he suffered an injury that ended his career. And then all of a sudden, the Steelers' offensive line had no aces on it anymore, and they had to rebuild it really quickly. Uh, and Ben Roethlisberger was on his last year. He didn't have his deep ball anymore. There was nothing on the Steelers' offense that could help Najee Harris get open lanes when he first started with the team. Um, and 
people kind of got down about it. But I'm like, man, I don't know if y'all see what I'm seeing, but this guy's fighting hard through like, like he's forcing missed tackles in the backfield. It's just that they're going for two yards because he's getting met, you know, one yard behind the line of scrimmage, two yards behind the line of scrimmage, and then, you know, getting three or four yards after that. When that starts getting to the second level, things are going to be better. And that's what's different now. He's getting to the second level, partly partially because you've seen this Steelers offensive line improve. They went and got Isaac Sayomalo from the Eagles, who Jason Kelsey was like, oh, man, how did the Steelers get get him away from us? Um, and he's been a huge boost at left guard. Um, James Daniels has been a big, big boost at right guard. But the big boost that really changed things was the drafting of Broderick Jones. They traded up and got him with the 14th overall pick, uh, jumping ahead of the Jets to get him. And uh, he has been such an asset since Broderick Jones became a regular starter in week nine. The Steelers went from averaging less than 80 yards per game on the ground to 145 in the in the next 10 games. And that's a large sample size now. Like at first, when it happened, like the first three or four games, people were like, I don't know, Chris, this is a small sample size. I'm like, OK, is this long enough for you now? It's about two and a half months. They've been they've been doing this. And it's not just Najee Harris. It's also Jalen Warren, um, Jalen Warren. And they're kind of a thunder and lightning package. Najee is a hard physical runner he's very much reminiscent of Le'Veon Bell in a lot of ways in how Le'Veon Bell could just eat contact keep falling forward and just keep grinding away at defenses and wearing you down with while protecting the football while making smart plays and creating uh with, with forcing missed tackles while Jalen Warren he can do a bit of that but he's a smaller body but he can also pick up ground a lot faster than Najee Harris Najee Harris isn't going to hit the home run ball on you that much Jalen Warren will hit the home run ball on you. And that's their difference is that they can both wear you down if you're not paying attention. And, and I think a big part of it is the addition of Broderick Jones at right tackle. He has helped them be it more physical. I did a film study that published in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, uh, in fact, earlier today on Wednesday. Um, and uh, part of it was showing what the offensive line is doing now that's smarter because they're working their tackles to get to the linebackers, to get to the second level, and they're disguising how they're doing it. Sometimes it's Sayomalo pulling in a trap to, 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 to fool the defensive tackle and to get him out of the way. Sometimes it's a tight end using a wham block from the other side of the formation to freeze a defensive end and allow uh, the tackle to go up the, go up the field. They're doing a lot of those types of things to create opportunities for, for the tackles to get to the second level. And if you get to the second level of the defense with your blockers, Najee Harris is getting to the second level of the defense by himself. And that's when he's starting to get four, five, eight, 10, 12 yards. And that starts to eat at you. And that's what's built the Steelers' new look of the offense. And I, I won't lie, Mason Rudolph beat you know, his emergence as well as helped um, you know, he's been able to hit a couple deep balls and that's kind of forced opponents to have to honor different things in the Steelers offense. And that's made it harder for them to lock in on Najee Harris. So uh, Mason Rudolph deserves credit for it too, but I I've likened it to, and, and I've, it's funny. I can make, I've made this comparison for years. Cause people said, Oh, in his first couple of years, like, Oh, Najee Harris, he, he hasn't broken out yet. He'll never break out. I'm like, Y'all remember Derrick Henry his his first two years weren't too good. And then his third year when Ryan Tannehill came along, all of a sudden, teams could had to at least respect him a little bit and respect Tannehill a little bit, and that allowed Derrick Henry to get more space to run, and then he became King Henry. And I'm not saying Najee Harris is De Derrick Henry, but I think there's a similar situation on, going on right now where the Steelers are just – they're getting competent quarterback play, and they, they weren't getting that consistently from Kenny Pickett. They weren't getting that at all from Mitch Trubisky, and Mason Rudolph has given them three games of that, and now you're seeing Najee Harris just feeding off of that a lot. That's what's led to the Steelers run game. And I, I truly think if the Steelers have any chance in this game, that's the element that they have to lean on to get a win. Hey, Chris. So that being said, I've been thinking about this from an offensive coordinator point of view, because the bills and the Steelers were two of the teams that made an in-season change with mm -hmm. the firings of Ken Dorsey and Matt Canada. 
And I thought that was interesting because I was often going on the Steelers Twitter account just to see the replies because I could just sense the tension because I thought Canada was going to be gone after last year. And I'm like, oh, man, it's getting ugly there. And I would just go on Twitter and I would see what Steelers fans were saying. And oddly enough, I was talking to a Steelers fan when the Bills fired Dorsey. So that was mid-November. And he was like, wish we could do the same thing. Like props to you guys for making the change. And then sure enough, they fired Canada. Was it the end of November? I believe so. Yeah, it was after their game against the Browns that they fired him. That would have been November 19th. So like mid, mid to late November. Yeah. Okay, so maybe just a week after the Bills can Dorsey then. Uh, but either way, Joe Brady has been a nice revelation for the Bills offense. And for what it's worth, I mean, they're 6-1 and one since they made the change. And I can see from the outside looking in that the Steelers have had that spark since making the change. So can you go in depth a little bit about what this offensive change did to the Steelers offense? So, yeah, sure. So the Steelers are in a bit of a different spot. Joe Brady was kind of like the guy in waiting, right, for the Bills. Like, everyone knew that Joe Brady was eventually going to get that job. It was a little different for the Steelers. Eddie Faulkner is technically the offensive coordinator. Mike Sullivan is the play caller. Faulkner was the running backs coach, and uh, Sullivan was the quarterbacks coach. And the the two of them kind of take on a dual role because Matt Canada, you know, and you didn't have to look at at Steelers Twitter accounts. You could look on the Pat McAfee show and then and like our college football game day and you'd see fire Matt Canada signs in Utah. And it's just like, man, this is getting out of hand. Um, but in all seriousness about about that situation, you know, I said all along as a person who studies film, as a person who talks to players about the film that I study and I'm, I'm in the lot. I was just in the locker room today. You know, I, I kept saying, like, listen, the designs of these plays aren't the problem. They're very much similar designs that everyone else is running. I think it's that they're not that Matt Canada doesn't know how to organize the offense in a way that everyone understands what the common goal is on a given concept or how to build off certain concepts and, and compound them off of each other to lead to more success. And that was part of the problem was just the organization and the coordination of the offense. It's not, it wasn't just calling plays. That was the problem. And I think that's where a lot of misconnected disconnections happen. When we talk about offensive coordinators, you got you to call better plays. And I'm like, the play calls are less the problem and more about getting the guys to the point where they need to execute. And that's where Eddie Faulkner has been a big boost to the Steelers as far as the coordinator part, because what Faulkner does, he doesn't call the plays, but at the start of the week, he studies the opponent and he says, Hey, these are the things we need to attack if we're going to beat that team. This is what we have to focus on. These are these are our goals, you know, on on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then we're and then we're ready on Sunday. And then he sets everything up. And then the Steelers go in and throughout the week knock things down. They address things a little bit, and they're more organized in doing so. And it hasn't always yielded great results. The Steelers went on a three game losing streak after uh, you know just just two weeks after they got rid of Matt Canada. Um, granted, that was also because they started start, they they put in Mitch Trubisky instead of Mason Rudolph after Kenny Pickett got hurt, um, and that led to a lot of problems. Uh, but I think in these last three weeks, you've seen. The offense, you know, kind of kind of figured things out. They looked like they had a point. They looked more coordinated. Um, and, you know, the, the the offensive linemen, they're more organized with who they need to block, when they need to block them, and how they need to look as a unit. The passing game, they know how what teams are trying to do now. Whereas before it was like they they would kind of just hit on a big moment and it was like, okay, that's great, but they would never be able to build on it. But now, uh, you know, a, a perfect example. 
the uh, against the Ravens in his last game. On the first third down of the game where Mason Rudolph almost threw an interception, uh, the Ravens showed a, a man two under look where it was two high safeties, and it looked like, okay, those guys are going to play deep. That means I got in, I got my inside guys. All I need is is one of my inside guys running up there to win inside leverage, and I'll hit them with an easy pass. Well, we, when they won inside leverage, he didn't realize the safeties weren't key, weren't playing too deep. They were just extra man coverage on the interior guys, so they jumped the route. It just didn't turn into an interception. So the Steelers brought that play back in the at the start of the fourth quarter. They said, "All right, similar look, except we're going to use that because we're going to be looking for them to do that." And the Ravens, they, they line up in a similar way. The Ravens came out in a, sim- in, in a similar play call. Rudolph stares down Pat Frymuth. The safety jumps on him. And as soon as Deontay Johnson you know, makes his slant to the inside, Rudolph turns, fires, hits him. And then Johnson takes off for a 71-yard touchdown because the safety is now out of position because he was so focused because they knew that that's what his assignment was. Those are the things that they weren't able to take advantage of under Matt Canada. And they're starting to now. And that's that that could be an advantage to the Steelers if they're able to create more moments like that and there's just not tape to study it. And I think that's something that some teams get a benefit of when you have a new quarterback, a new system, and, and people can't say, you know what, I have 10 games to study to know how this team likes to play. Like that was one of my big things. Like Peyton Manning's one of his big weaknesses in the playoffs was Peyton Manning was the same guy in the regular season that he was in the playoffs. And so if you studied his regular season, you knew how where he'd want to go in the playoffs. The Steelers have the advantage of people might not be 100% sure where they're going to go. Now, here's the thing. Mason Rudolph is still a backup quarterback. He's still not the guy who I I think this franchise looks as their future franchise guy. So eventually he's going to, you know, he's been, he's been on the Cinderella ride. That carriage is probably going to turn back into a pumpkin. The odds say more, more than not, but at the same time, all they're asking him to do is just be competent and balance the offense. They're not asking him to throw in a double coverage and make the amazing throw past two defenders, things that Josh Allen does on some ridiculous plays that he pulls off. They're not asking him to run for, you know, for 50 yards, you know, and, and get things done. They're saying, hey, if they're leaving George Pickens one-on-one, give him the shot to win the jump ball. If Deontay Johnson is, is up against a corner that we like the matchup, wait for him to win inside leverage and give him and throw him a catchable ball. And or if they're playing too deep. And the and they have seven in the box. Switch to the hot or you know switch switch it up. Hand it off to Najee Harris. Let him get four or five yards here. That balance is all the Steelers have really needed, and that's what's helped them propel themselves forward. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up though, interesting stats. You know, from the compiled computer cowboy, um, Bills O line third and pass blocking, tenth and run blocking through the metrics that computer cowboy uses. Uh, Steelers very similar ninth in run blocking, so they're like well neck and neck there. But twenty seventh against Pat and pass blocking. What's what's going on there? Is that a concern? I mean, obviously with the uh, influx of of Broderick Jones, but what what's happening there? Is there is there is there a breakdown somewhere? Are, are they losing one on one win rates? Um, like what's what's happening to cause a twenty seventh ranked? And you know, there's some Bills fans where they're, they're third, so a lot of people will say you know, that might be a little bit high for what we the eye test says the Bills are, and maybe the twenty seventh is a little bit low. But why analytically is is that O line look like it's struggling uh, as well? Um, and then and then and then on a more positive note too, I think the success rate is what's different. You know, when you pull the success rate, twenty fifth under Canada, ten under you know the combo of Faulkner. Um, you know, drop back EPA fifteenth, and then was was twenty sixth under Canada. So you do have some simple. They were they're just being more successful. <laughs> like you're, you're right, they may be calling the right plays at the right time. Um, but to the O line point. Talk to me about that. Like, what's what's causing the the the, the pass block issues? 
So a few things. Um, Isaac Sayamalu is, is not the problem. He he is he has very much been the answer. I actually think he's he hasn't given up a sack all season. So he he's been elite at the left guard position. James Daniels has been pretty solid. Um, Broderick Jones is still very raw. He's an extremely athletic guy. He's going to be a pillar of the Steelers offense for the next decade. Like I think they they got a guy who's going to be a future pro bowler, all pro type of offensive tackle he is, as he develops. Uh, but he's not he's not 100% short up yet. There's times where if you kind of beat him in a certain way, he won't be able to he hasn't learned how to counter different moves. So that's one weakness. But for the most part he he's fine. The two biggest weaknesses are at left tackle and center. Left tackle is Dan Moore Jr. Um he's a Third year, I think he's a third year. Yeah, third year left tackle, fourth round pick out of Texas A&M. Dan Moore's, you know, when he he's at his best when he's able to just run block and just get downhill and be physical. But when he's asked to pass block, he puts him. He is in a rough spot, and he has given up a lot of pressures this year. He has not done a good job protecting the blind side of the Steelers' quarterbacks, uh, and he's kind of only there because they haven't found another answer at the position. And I fully anticipate them to try to find an answer in the offseason. Um, but Dan Moore just he hasn't been that, so he's been giving up a lot of pressure. And the other key position that, that's really hurt them is the center position. Mason Cole, who uh, he's kind of stabilized the Steelers' offensive line last year because his predecessor Kendrick Green was not good at all um, for the for the Steelers. Uh, but Mason Cole at least brought a guy who could understand what the offense was trying to do and bring it there. But he's also a guy that gets beat regularly up the middle. And that's where if I'm if I'm the Bills, I am lining up Ed Oliver up the middle as much as I can on Mason Cole. I, I am trying to use him to disrupt Mason Cole and everything right up the middle of the Steelers offense or offense and, and and cause that disruption. So that those are where the, the weaknesses are coming for the Steelers offensive line and pass protection. They've kind of struggled all year. I, I do think that they've gotten better in in the in recent weeks, especially because with the run game working, I think they've started to find their collective confidence. Um, but certainly still they, they, they have room to improve there uh, as far as pass protection. So I, I want to go back to the offensive coordinator position here and kind of transition that into the quarterbacks, because I know we've talked a little bit about Mason Rudolph, but branching off of my question about the coordinator change, how much of that was on Kenny Pickett or Mitch Trubisky or whoever was lining up under center? Because again, from the outside looking in, it seemed like Matt Canada was not the answer. But at the same time, it seemed like he didn't get any help from Kenny Pickett. And then once they made the change, Pickett started to look a little bit better. He got hurt. And then ultimately, they've been going with Rudolph, and he's been playing really well. So, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So can you just kind of speak on those three quarterbacks between Pickett, Trubisky, and Mason Rudolph, and just kind of what the whole season has been like, and then what the mood is like towards these guys? Because it seems like Steelers fans like Mason Rudolph, but you know, it'll take one shellacking by the Bills for them to probably be like, okay, we should probably go back to Kenny Pickett next year. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, when Jake Browning was going off for the yeah. Bengals and he had like three straight games, they led him to 30 points. And then they came, they played Pittsburgh on, I think it was Sunday night and they just, they got walloped and it was like, oh, okay. that So he is just a backup and Joe Burrow is, <laughs> really is the man. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's just, yeah. uh, but, but no, I, I think there's something there. Listen, I, I'm one of the people who <laughs> I have kind of been in the, uh, in the polarized situation, in the middle of a polarized situation where in Pittsburgh, there are Kenny Pickett believers and there are Kenny Pickett disbelievers. And I have been tugged at both sides because I am just objective when Kenny Pickett does well. And look, he's had a lot of comebacks, a lot of fourth quarter comebacks, a lot of game winning drives, a lot of clutch moments for the Steelers. And when he does, I'm like, Hey, 
He deserves credit for that. But when he doesn't do it and he also has, struggles throughout games, I'm like, look, he's messing up over here. And whenever I say the part that he's doing wrong, I'm called a Kenny Pickett hater. But if I bring up anything he does well, I'm a Kenny Pickett fanatic. And I'm like, guys, I'm, I'm just saying what's happened here. And I think that's where the Steelers fans are at is that they don't have their franchise quarterback right now. They and no, no one, no one knows if who's, who's that going to, who that's going to be. And so there's a bit of a rift there. And uh, there were plenty of times where I pointed out, in fact, the game that got Matt Canada fired, their loss to the Browns, I think it was week 12, I think around that um, there was a red zone possession where the Steelers got in the red zone and they dialed up, uh, you know, across crossing patterns and, Deontay Johnson ran a slant and absolutely cooked the, the, the Browns secondary. He was wide open. No, I mean, not only was that did, was the, did he the, the cornerback lose him, but the safety from the other side didn't even come to help. Kenny Pickett, if it, it has him five yards in front of him, he hits him, he walks into the end zone. Kenny Pickett didn't even see him. And it was just like a I, and like I, I circled that play and I was like, listen, you know, there's people that say Canada's play calls are the problem. Kenny, you know, you know th this is the problem. He he didn't have enough time. There's no excuse for not hitting a five yard slant for, over the middle with that's uncovered, literally uncovered, and a touchdown. I think Kenny Pickett got in his own head. I think that Matt Canada's lack of organization in the offense made it tougher for him to find his feet and be consistent. And I think the consistency that Eddie Faulkner has brought to the to the room, offensive room, um, as far as organi organization day to day, has made it easier for Mason Rudolph to find that organization because also uh, in, in their first game without Matt Canada, they got 400 yards of offense against the Bengals. They only scored 16 points, but they hadn't moved the ball for 400 yards since the 2020 season when that was like the last time he even saw kind of a decent version of Ben Roethlisberger. So yeah, ben, Kenny Pickett deserves blame in this situation. And this is the person I covered Kenny Pickett in college because I also covered the University of Pittsburgh uh, football team. Uh, and when he was at the, when he took them on that run to the ACC championship, I covered him the whole way. Um, and you know, and I said, like, look, that guy's a leader. That guy's tough. Um, but when he came, when he came to the Steelers, I'm like, oh, so I get to, I, I know this guy. I've, I've literally texted with him. We've, we've talked. Uh, we, we know each other. You know, to see each other. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm not gonna, you know, you know, say, say, you know, lie and say, oh, wait, he's doing great when he's not. He was, a, he was part of the problem. And you, you, you look at the, the quarterback performance and the clutch there. Kenny Pickett has been very clutch this year. Um, you know, so. That's something that you that, that you look at there and you got to take account for. But the problem is he hasn't been consistent. Like you see Josh Allen way up, way up there on the right. Thing is, Josh Allen is also way up there in a lot of other statistics. Kenny Pickett is not. His his clutch factor is the one thing that helps him right now. And and, and the thing is, is that it if you can't get your team to, to the clutch point, that's a problem. And I think that right now, Mason Rudolph has given the Steelers the most consistent quarterback play that they've that they've seen. Since Ben Roethlisberger was 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 in his prime, and uh, that that's what's that's what's got him going in, in three straight games. Mason Rudolph has had a passer rating of one twelve or higher, and that's just that's you have to ride that hot hand uh, because you know you look at you look at the Steelers' offense and you look at Kenny Pickett, and I, I think I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to make sure I get this right. Uh, his passer rating all year long was eighty one point four. Um, I'm trying to see those numbers here. He achieved a, a pass rating of over 100 one time during that stretch this year. And so the Steelers are going to ride the hot hand. Um, so Kenny Pickett deserves blame for, for things. Matt Canada deserved blame for the, or, the lack of organization on the offense. Um, and, uh, and and they, they they decided that with him, with letting him go. Um, but Kenny Pickett's not without fault, and he recognizes that, and they he wants to improve that if he ever does get a shot again this year, which doesn't look like he will. So I'm putting you on the spot. Who's a week one starter next year for the Pittsburgh Steelers? 
<laughs> I still think it'll be Kenny Pickett, and here's why. Um, and this isn't a diss to Mason Rudolph. I, I think Mason Rudolph, I've seen too many times in the NFL when a backup comes in, lights it up, and some ever someone somewhere in the NFL is like, I can make that work. I can nah, give him to me. I'm gonna make him mine. <laughs> and I can I can see Mason Rudolph signing like an eight million dollar contract somewhere, which is more than the Steelers would pay him. Um, and and then he'll get the chance to start, and he deserves it. Like, look, Mason Rudolph. This is the guy who, when as soon as he is, I, I've called him the Charlie Brown um, of, of of Pittsburgh. Also, Kenny Pickett. He is. They're just not playing him. Um, to answer that question of the of the person there, I call him the Charlie Brown of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and here's why: he has had the worst luck since he's been drafted by the Steelers. When, in 2018, he was picked with the third round pick. Ben Roethlisberger openly commented on his radio show as soon as that pick happened. Why did we pick a quarterback? We needed to get another weapon. So, like, immediately he dogs the him coming into the door. Ben Roethlisberger makes it very clear he's not friends with him. And so that kind of, you know, prevents him from being able to learn from Ben Roethlisberger, the guy who's go eventually going to go to the Hall of Fame. So Mason kind of deals with that. Then Ben goes down in 2019. Mason comes in. He starts off pretty well, has some decent games. He he, he manages games well. He's making some plays. And then by his, like, third or fourth game, when he was really hitting his stride, Earl Thomas shot to the head, knocks him out. It was a horrifying hit, and he's concussed. He's out for like a few I weeks. Remember that? Uh, uh, they bring in Devlin Hodges, the d duck, as everyone called him. He was a d professional duck caller who don't know well, how you remember he made duck it, too he, on Sunday Night Football. Yeah, yeah that's right. The he, Tyler Croft game. Yeah. The yes, yes. So yeah, you remember that year. So that was that yeah. that guy. He comes in. He beats the Chargers on the road, and then all of a sudden, Pittsburgh falls in love with this guy. And like, not the team, but the fans. They're like, "You mean this? Just Joe Schmo, who just who likes to talk to like call ducks and hunt ducks? Ah, oh, we love this guy." And then uh, when when Mason comes back, um, he gets his spot back. Um, he plays a couple of good games, but then he has uh, the really bad game against the Browns, which of course ends with Miles Garrett hitting him over the head with a helmet. Yep. Um, and, and then Miles Garrett accusing him of using a slur, which they never provided proof for. Um, and then, uh, and, and then, you know, that he's become, he's not only has Mason Ruff been assaulted, but then he's made the aggressor of the assault by this accusation that Miles Garrett couldn't prove. And then, you know, that kind of messed with his head. They kind of messed him up the next game. He plays poorly, gets benched for duck Hodges, you know, in real time. Um, and, and that gets embarrassing when they put him back in and against the Jets a few weeks later, uh, he gets his collarbone broke. And I mean, that is the worst year you can have as far as a start to your career. And so since then, they brought back, you know, Ben Roethlisberger came back, still didn't like him. And then when Ben Roethlisberger's finally gone, they signed Mitch Trubisky and they draft Kenny Pickett. So then he's third string. And it, so it's a, Mason Rudolph, just he's been in a tough spot. So um, I think he deserves a ton of credit. Steelers fans appreciate him. But I, I think that he's ready for he, – I think that if, if he does enough to earn a contract somewhere else, he will take that and run. But he also literally told us after the win over, over the Bengals, he was like, listen, um, no lie, I, I was looking at commercial real estate jobs after the season. And we all laughed, and we were like, ha-ha. And he was like, no, 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 that wasn't a joke. I, I really was. <laughs> I mean, I believe it. Like, where, where's Duck Hodges now? Like, ultimately, like, I remember that. They were like, what did they beat? They won four games. I remember going in because it covered the Bills. Uh, mm -hmm. He won four games before that Bills game. I think it was like four touchdowns, two interceptions. And then he threw four interceptions that game against yep. the Bills alone. I remember yep. that uh, scenario. And then Rudolph obviously ties with Josh Allen in the Bills front office too. They, it was said that the Bills liked Rudolph. It was said they had – now, this is what the Bills say, that they had Josh one, Lamar two, and uh, actually Mason Rudolph three. 
there so were people that, who that, there, there are people that, who say that, that that Mason Rudolph was a a first round draft pick grade by a lot of GMs, including the Steelers in that draft. Yeah. Yeah, so they say that. So obviously they they claim they got the first two right, and and, and they did. They picked Josh, and they claim they would have taken Lamar if Josh wasn't there. Great for them if if that's true. Uh, I guess the first part's true. So it's tough to not. I mean, Brandon Bean's a good GM. He uh, he has he has hit on some really great draft choices, including some players we'll see in this game. Uh, but ultimately, there is some ties there with Mason Rudolph, and ultimately, I think you've seen some. I've heard it a little bit now, like Bills fans, like. At one point, maybe now he's priced himself out, wanting Rudolph to back up Josh Allen. Because the Bills, mm. look, you have one of our backup quarterbacks. Yeah. Uh, we, we we cycle these guys. We get them paid. Um, we cycle them. They get paid. Even old guys, like even uh, Case Keenum went and got a decent-looking deal. Um, and then he went and struggled. Couldn't even couldn't even beat out Davis Mills uh, when that was all said and done, when C.J. Stroud went out. So, um, I mean, they look like the bills i thought he could be on their radar maybe he's still someone like that still is but i you know i think he's priced himself out of what the bills will uh what will want as a qb2 but i still have hope all with all that being said i still have hope for kenny pickett he is a guy that i'm more on the i like side i love those clutch genes um look we have a quarterback like that in buffalo that does make some some errors at times in the game but he's so good in the fourth quarter walked Absolutely. off the field with four leads um out of his six losses under two minutes um, so ultimately he's put his team in position to, to win, um, you know, 15 games. Um, and you know, his defense has let him down the bills. I think we're 22nd DVOA, um, in the first eight weeks of the season. Uh, they just lost too many people. You, you know about it. Um, and you know, we spent a time, a lot of time talking about, talking about the quarterback and we'll get, we'll get you on maybe in the off season, if there's time, uh, maybe to talk about some Steelers plan, but sure. to kind of, kind of, kind of see what your plan is in April, but now there's a game and, uh, Got a question for you. Sure. Uh, how are this def- uh, the Steelers defensively covering the middle of the field? What will you see? I know they've had linebacker issues. Obviously, they're going to get back their starting safety combo, which certainly helps uh, with that linebacking core. Now, obviously, TJ Watt, more of an edge um, out. What do you and the Bills obviously will target there uh, at times, especially with Dalton Kincaid running a lot of different routes. Um, Khalil Shakir is, is now becoming a legitimate slot option in the NFL. What is your... I guess talk to us like, you know, we watch Steelers ball, but mm-hmm. to say, I mean, I've broken on a few game film, um, but we only play at most every other year. Um, you know, lately, I guess it's been a little more frequently. So I guess talk to us about their ability to cover the middle of the field and what are, what are they, will they go single high? Will they run a lot of double? Like, will they run too high? Like, what are they looking at? Co- cover, they, they, you know, cover they two, mix cover it up six. a lot. Okay. They, 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 they mix one of the Terrell Austin, the defensive yeah. coordinator, I, I, you know, he, he does a good job mixing things up, but Make no mistake, Minka Fitzpatrick is kind of like an extra coach for the Steelers. He is very much like when he's not on the field. Like, in fact, uh, you know, at the end of the game, Marcus Golden, the edge rusher for the Steelers, sacks Tyler Huntley of, of the Ravens and his third down. And basically, it puts the Ravens in a situation where they're probably not going to win the game at this point. Golden celebrates a little bit and starts running to the sideline while the clock's still running and the Ravens are sitting on their field goal team. And who stops him but an injured Minka Fitzpatrick who's like, yo, Get back on the field. Like we got we said they're about to kick field goal. And, and so but this is a guy who week in and week out, like he is going over schematics. There was a play against, I think it was the Titans, and the Titans were setting up for like a Hail Mary pass. And Terrell Austin was calling the play. And like the Steelers call timeout, and it's Minka Fitzpatrick saying, like, that's not the play. Let's call this play. Like, he's a guy that's very much involved in the scheming of things. So Minka Fitzpatrick being back is a boost. But make no mistake, the Steelers. They have had to string together with scotch tape 
the middle part of their defense at different times this year. They went going into this season, they brought in three free agent linebackers Cole Holcomb, Quan Alexander, Elandon Roberts, all three veterans, all three guys that have been like leaders on defense before. They wanted to solidify that position, and they did. And for a time, they were pretty good to start the year. They only allowed like one touchdown by tight ends um, going into like week nine or 10 or something like that. And they were looking pretty strong, but then Cole Holcomb went out for the year. Then Quan Alexander went out for the year and even Landon Roberts suffered an injury. And so then they were down to, uh, Mark Robinson, a, a second year, seventh round pick, uh, Michael Walker, a guy that was a practice squatter, miles Jack, who retired last year was working on his pilot's license and owning a minor league hockey team who they brought off the street. Like, Hey, miles, can you come back? You played here last year. Can you, can you make some time? And, and they brought in Blake Martinez and other guys like that. So, uh, they've had to string things together with practice squatters and, you know, undrafted, you know, just free agents that were just sitting there. Um, and, um, and then the safety position gets decimated. Uh, they signed Keon O'Neill. He's out for the year. Uh, they signed, you know, you know, Demonte KZ had been there. He had, he got suspended for, for, for quite some time. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick has missed like, I want to say seven games at this point this year. And he's the all pro safety Minka Fitzpatrick. He's a huge part of that defense. Um, so now your top three safeties are gone. And then your fourth safety, Trenton Thompson, who was a practice squatter who had earned kind of the respect of being a consistent part of the defense. He, he's been out. For, for a month, they eventually what they ended up doing was they signed Eric Rowe, uh, another guy that was kind of just on the couch in the in the middle of the offseason, in the middle of the season, um, and they moved Patrick Peterson to safety. And so they were doing everything they could to mix match and put every it was like a Rubik's cube, just like, yeah, this is our defense this week. Like it was kind of like that's kind of how things were being arranged. But through that, they were able to coordinate some very good stuff to confuse guys. Um, and it didn't always yield over great results. Uh, Geno Smith, I think, had a decent game against them. Um, but I think like right now what you're going to see is the Steelers, they're going to try to confuse Josh Allen with looks that he likes to do. They love setting up disguises. Like one thing you're going to look at, if there's a look that they think that Josh Allen likes and that they, they, they think, like, okay, this is a tendency that when he sees this look, he attacks there – they're going to set up that look with disguises that are going to take advantage of, oh, he thinks, like, for example, let's say they show three high and, and, and like they're showing cover three and, and Josh Allen like loves to attack the seam. I'm not saying he does. I'm just saying as an example. That's accurate. So, That's probably fairly accurate, honestly. Right. But yes. So because I think I've I've seen some Josh Allen tape, but I ain't studied him game in and game out. But loves the scene. You know, he, yeah, for sure. He sees he sees the scene. He wants to throw it. But. You, instead of doing a cover three, it's really cover one robber, and Minka Fitzpatrick drops from deep middle safety to in the middle of the field, and now I'm waiting on that scene. And if Josh Allen is under pressure because Alex Highsmith breathes down his neck, they're, he's going to throw it, and then, and then Minka Fitzpatrick jumps it, and you got a big play. Those are the things that the Steelers are going to try to do over the middle part of the field. Now, it's getting a little bit harder because the linebacker position early on in the year, Cole Holcomb, Quan Alexander, they could cover tight ends. They would bump them at the line of scrimmage. They'd run with them. They wouldn't be elite, but they'd be solid. And so you'd have to be very accurate throwing throwing into those windows. Now, you don't have to be as accurate to th doing that with the guys that they have now. Uh, but still, Mika Fitzpatrick being back, if he can get this defense to be as coordinated as they have been on their best days, they can be a problem over the middle part of the field. But if I'm if I'm the Bills, I force the Steelers to prove that I'm going to Dalton Kincaid, I'm going to yeah. Dawson Knox. I'm letting those guys show you know, I'm letting this those guys make the Steelers prove that they've that they are that they are solidified and well prepared up the middle this week. Yeah, no doubt about it. So what's the depth chart looking back there for the DBs? 
what's the status on Fitzpatrick and then uh, KZ? Was that a suspension just for the rest of the regular season? Is he going to be back? Or is he still yeah, so out? he is back. He in fact he came back to practice uh today um for the for the Steelers. Uh he he had a hit in the Colts game that was kind of like just unfortunate, you know. The Pittman uh, one, he, right? Yeah, the Pittman one. He yeah. went down and then Pittman tried to dive for the ball and he's like, I'm already down here. What like you know, what, what am I gonna do? He can't get out of the way. Um, uh, but that was also like his like fourth penalty of the year. And so they were like, Well, you're just out for the season. He appealed, he got it take he got the playoffs part taken off, but he still had to miss the rest of the regular season. Um, but he's he's back now. Demonte Casey is a solid player. Like he's not a surefire tackler, but he brings energy. He bring he's able to hit. Um, if you if you make a mistake, he'll he'll catch the ball. And he had a, he has a season with seven interceptions on his on his career. Um, and he's made some of those plays. And Remind um, me a rap. A, the Bills have rap. Reminds me of him a lot. <laughs> so I think that's I think that's a fair comparison. Um, yeah. And he's also a locker room guy. Like I have a clip on on uh, the Locked On Steelers podcast that I that I posted where I was talking to Joey Porter Jr. and Joey kind of takes the mic from me and he's like, "Let me say, I gotta pick this game." What's this guy done next to me? Demonte K. He's like, don't you start with me. Like, like I got to pick before you did. So don't even try that. And, and like, they have that budding relationship, <laughs> and Casey kind of brings that. So, like, I think that's something that he brings off the field. That's cool. And he's also another veteran that understands. Hey, we're disguising cover two here, but we're really in cover six here, and we want to try to force him to make this mistake. Those are the things that he's going to bring. Those are the things that Minka Fitzpatrick definitely brings. That that guy is a football guru. He understands things in in and out. Um, and he doesn't always make the right play at the right time. You know, he got beat by Gabe Davis last year for a big touchdown. But uh, he's a guy that you don't want to test too often because if you keep doing it, he's eventually going to make a big play on you. Uh, and that's what the Steelers are kind of going to try to force. Right. And obviously, Joey Porter, do you expect him to trail Stefan Diggs? Not yes. does he play like, OK, so he's going to stay on him, whether he's in the slot, whether wherever he goes or. So, so I will say this. Shannon Sullivan is the Steelers slot corner, has had some yep. really good has had a really good month. Like even the games okay. that they were losing, to like the Cardinals and the Patriots and the Colts. Um, I was saying like, yo, this guy's actually been solid. Like he's been he's stuck with his man. He's been a short tackler. Um, he's been detailed in his work. Uh, there's been times teams have tried to put him as the the guy that they wanted to blow up in the screen, and he's undercut the blockers and say, I'm going to blow up this play so other guys can make plays on this one. Um, I think Shannon Sullivan will draw digs sometimes, uh, but for the most part, it will be kind of a porter job. And, I mean, he's gotten used to it this year. He did it to DeAndre Hopkins. He did it to Cooper Cup. He did it to Amari Cooper. He did it to Jamar Chase. He did it to T. Higgins. Um you know, he, he's, he, he did it to DK Metcalf. Um, so uh, he he did it to, in fact, his first interception was he got one-on-one -on -one with a touchdown. It was, it was a potential touchdown uh, from Jackson to Odell Beckham Jr. In, in the first Steelers-Ravens game. And he got a big interception that flipped the game around for the Steelers. So, um, you know, I think he's used to kind of doing this. And Patrick Peterson even said, you know, I, I see myself in this kid because, you know, when he flipped the safety for a temporary reprieve, um, because to help the Steelers out because they were so banged up there. I asked Peterson, I was like, hey, why, why, you know, do you, what makes you so confident that Porter's ready to carry, you know, the, the cornerback position? He's like, because that dude prepared like I did when I was a rookie and I was ready for it and I believe in him. And if you look at the numbers of, of cornerbacks who have played about, you know, 360 coverage snaps on the year, so like most starters, Joey Porter has the, has the, uh, the, best completion percentage allowed to quarterbacks at 45.6. And in fact, to cornerbacks that have been targeted 50 times this year, his 24 receptions allowed is the lowest in the NFL. Now, 
He has weaknesses. He's still not completely technically sound. He like he doesn't know how to properly engage and disengage when guys are getting physical with him. Sometimes he gets a little too handsy. Uh, but he's a studier. He likes. He knows how to get in position uh, for what guys try to do. In fact, there's a really good clip uh, from the Bengals game where the Bengals are trying to set him up to give up inside leverage to T Higgins and he sniffed it out and kind of jumped in the way. And Jake Browning had to kind of tuck the ball and took a sack because of it. And, you know, it's one of those plays where you'll look at the defensive line and think, Oh, that's where the play was. But if you zoom back and get the all 22, you can see Joey Porter, you know, kind of look, you know, you know, get in position and kind of be like, okay, throw it my way. And when he didn't, you can see him give the fist pump. Like I figured it out. That's what they were trying to do. He's a smart player. He's learned a lot. And I think he's he's gonna be, he's gonna be matching up with Diggs a lot, and I think it's gonna be a really interesting match to see how he does against a guy who Mike Tomlin said Stephon Diggs might be the best route runner in the NFL. What about Wallace, a guy we know very well? Um, I'm tacking him in the run game all day. He's terrible against the run. What is yeah. so? What do you what do you like? Is he on the bench this week now that you're a little bit healthier? Is he? Are uh, you moving back down, Pete, uh, Patrick Peterson? Like what's like? I can't I, see big moments from him knowing what he's done. I mean, he has some nice coverage plays at times. Like, yeah, uh, that's yeah, what gets he, him paid. Um, by Wallace, but, like, you know, he's solid. Like, you know, he's not he's not going to lock down any position for you. Uh, Patrick, Peter, I anticipate Patrick Peterson to be the starter across from Joey Porter Jr. and then Levi Wallace to be like the first outside corner on the bench, but or yeah, off yeah. off the bench uh, to help. But I will say this: the Steelers, when they were fully healthy, they were showing a lot of different deployments where they would kind of move Patrick Peterson into a semi-safety role and have Wallace and Porter be on the outside because Peterson was one of the, is one of those guys who he knows how to play all the roles. He knows how to just jump between spots in the defense. He's a future Hall of Famer. He's been around the league forever. So they want to use him in various ways. I wouldn't be shocked to see Peterson play a lot of snaps on outside corner and then have plays where he kind of like lines up outside, but then bumps inside and Wallace all of a sudden is, is, is on the outside. And then Peterson's kind of like moving around to try to confuse Josh Allen with what their coverage is actually doing. Yeah, tendencies for sure. Yeah. Patrick mm-hmm. Peterson famously called out Gabe Davis in the past against the Vikings. Um, I thought, I mean, ultimately I thought he got beat on that play, but did he did ultimately call out a tendency um, and it was interesting, you know, Patrick Peterson will say that just as much. So, I mean, I, he, he is, he's going to, to know Josh and he can use his vet presence to, you know, play dime linebacker really. Right. I mean, the bills do it with Poyer. Um, you know, it's been Poyer's role this year and he's been pretty good at it. And that's why rap's been in the game. So very similar, obviously not a corner, uh, but very similar situation. I mean, look, they're what you got guys from the same college, right. Uh, coaching some, some coaching up some teams and they got Sean McDermott, obviously very close with Mike Tomlin. Um, so, you know, they, 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 they know what they're doing. Obviously, Sean McDermott's defense, uh, taking some criticism after a six and six start, but it's been very, uh, very, very good lately. Um, weather elements. That's the one thing I have jotted down here to kind of get us going. Um, what are you obviously running? The bills are used to this. They will obviously come to, to stop the run. How do you feel? Um, you know, Mason Rudolph now, not only in the playoffs, but he's going to see some Buffalo elements, um, and it's it it can get crazy at that that stadium is like none other it's right in the snow belt uh it's it's different than other snow places like what like what what do you think Rudolph's gonna do he's just gonna rely on the run game and hope hope for the best do you do you, do you see him having tendencies to beat anything weather related or like I guess tell me tell me about the, the Steelers game plan you know I, you know passing wise um you know not just Najee Harris <laughs> 
I mean, they're going to try to find ways to let Mason be aggressive at times. Uh, he has a big arm. Like, 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 make no mistake, Mason Roth can sling it. Like, like, I think that's where that's where his biggest asset is, is that he can, when he sees what he wants and he fires it, if he's on point, it's it's going to be there. So uh, the Steelers just don't want to put him in a position where he has to keep doing that over and over and over all game long. Um, but like one thing that the Steelers are doing is they're trying to line up ways for you to have to either kind of sell like, hey, I'm going to cover the interior guys. The Steelers use a lot of 11 personnel. They use a lot of their they love to go to their tight ends, Darnell Washington uh, and Pat Fryermuth and even Connor Hayward, Cam Hayward's younger brother, uh, who's you know become a really good extra extra item for the Steelers. On, on the field, they move those guys around. They're good run blockers and they're good catchers. Uh, and, and they've, they've, they've kind of done that as well. But the Steelers also love to use Deontay Johnson and George Pickens in different ways. And what they're doing now and what Mason Rudolph is doing is he's doing such a good job at understanding, okay, this is the defense that we, that we practiced on all week. This is the weakness that we, that we identified in it. When we get this matchup, I'm taking it here. And if, if you know if it's a situation where hey the Bills just have the right defense at the right time and there's nobody open, he does not try to extend the play in a crazy way. He just kind of like all right, throw this one away. We'll live for the next down. Mason Rudolph has done a good job understanding. Hey, I'm just a game manager. I'm not. I'm not you know, Josh Allen. I'm not the guy that's going to come out here and sling it 50 yards downfield and it's going to break the game wide open unless you know that guy's open or it's one on one. It's an obvious situation, but. He, he's not forcing it. I think that's all this Steelers offense ever needed. They have the offensive line to move people. They have the running backs to pound people and to also catch the ball out of the backfield and be dangerous. Um, and when you mix all of them, it forces defenses to kind of show, hey, we're going to be over here. We're going to try to take away this or that. That's what the Steelers have to lean on in this game because you're right. The Bills are going to come out if it's you know 20 to 50 mile per hour wins. They're going to, okay, please run the ball. We're going to, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to, you know, put up nine in the box. We're going to be ready for that. You know, our linebackers first and second steps are going to be towards a and B gap. Uh, but uh, if the Steelers, I, I think that they've, they've tried to do this in a lot of their games when teams, when they know teams are trying to stop the run, they'll hit you with a play action pass. They'll hit you with, you know, a crosser, or they'll hit you with a swing pass where uh, they'll have Warren and Harris on the field at the same time. And they'll fake a handoff to Harris up the middle while Warren's leaking out to the flat. And they'll have like Connor Hayward as a lead blocker who sleeks out, sleeks out with them. And if there's only one or two defenders out there, you got two, two versus two in space. And you got a chance to turn basically like a, a sideways handoff out to the sideline into a big play. And so that's actually a play that they used for a third down conversion against the Ravens. And, and uh, they, they've been very creative with that. And the thing is, again, is, they haven't done that consistently in the right ways all season long into these last three games. So I still think that they're opening up parts of the playbook that haven't been stacked on top of each other. There's times we've seen plays like uh, there was a, there was a, a week where I think it was both Sam Laporta and uh, George Kittle both scored on touchdowns on wheel routes where it was like a, a flea flicker wheel route. No one covered them down the sideline, big play for them. And someone's someone said, wow, you'd never see Matt Canada have that in his playbook. But then someone literally went back to the Steelers, you know, in their <laughs> season it. opener yeah. last year. And it was the exact same play. I'm like, actually, they got that kind of from Matt Canada. But <laughs> thing was, is Matt Canada didn't know how to, like, use that one play and then use concepts that build off of that, 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 that can continue to keep you guessing as a defense. Whereas Eddie Faulkner. Mike Sullivan, Eddie Faulkner sets the plan. Mike Sullivan calls the plays, and they go through the game in that motion, and that's kind of what sets things up uh, play after play. So 
as far as the passing attack, it's going to be about taking what's there. If the Bills are are running too deep, if they're giving them space to run, the Steelers are going to run. If they try to take away the run, they go one high. They're they're they're, they're going to try and get one on one matchups with Pickens and uh, and Johnson. They love to give those guys chances, but that's what it's going to be about: is can the Bills confuse Mason in those moments where where they're showing, hey, we're we can be gotten here in the past game, but how can you get us? And if if Mason's able to hit on a couple of those and the Bills are forced to honor it and that opens up space for the Steelers run game, that's the pace the Steelers want to reach. But the question is, can Mason Rudolph do it again? He's done it the last three games. The Steelers have to hope that he can do it one more time. Yeah, very interesting. 12 personnel has been an interesting. I've studied some 12 personnel and it's been ineffective for you guys. I thought that for sure. I mean, you've only ran, I think, 17 percent negative point two one EPA on it. I thought for sure you'd be a 12 personnel team completely wrong. Um, I, I was not expecting to see the 11 numbers um, out of the Steelers offense. When I finally dove in, it was very interesting to me, especially knowing you named off the tight ends. Uh, there's definitely like the bills and the bills have some quality. Uh, Knox gets a lot of heat, but he's a good player. Um, there's some quality tight ends there too. Um, so I found that kind of interesting uh, as well to see the, the 12. So I guess it just hasn't been your bread and butter. Uh, even running out of it hasn't been great for you. So it's kind of, kind of interesting. It's, it's um, been interesting. It's been interesting for sure because they've used it in different way. Now, 13 personnel, they love that stuff. They they yeah. will come out in that and they will, they, that, that's when you see the wham blocks come from Connor. Them, Hayward. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it, it's, it's been good, but that's, they, they, they tried it a lot early in the season and it didn't work and they kind of leaned away from it. Um, but I think they're a team that they, they have they have different play, playmakers at different position groups. And that's kind of where uh, I think they've tried to mix it up throughout the year. And again, I don't think that they've started to find a rhythm until these this last month or so. And that that's why I think it we like a lot of things I'm telling you that, that I'm seeing here as far as what the Steelers are working on. You might see a whole different bag on on Sunday because they literally have have only been doing this with uh, with success and building momentum off of it for the last three games. And that's where things can get tricky. Interesting. Um, it's time, man. Like we really appreciate you coming on, spending some good time with us. Really good knowledge. We don't see the Steelers a lot. Love my uh, other, usually we have Jenna Harner on too. Um, she's someone I really oh, great. love. She's always on my show, Locked on Steelers. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's stellar. We said hi. Um, she comes on usually. She's obviously covered us, uh, the bills mm-hmm. here pri- previously. So I uh, get some great info from her too. So uh, you've given us just as much. Um, so tell us, Give us your final. Th- How's this going to go? Give us your final prediction. Um, I, we ask every guest. We make every guest um, big, small, little. Um, give their give their prediction. Um, and like ultimately, weather does look like it's in the cards. Can go either way. Sometimes the Bills come out and just dominate in those conditions. Other times, mm-hmm. you know, we've seen the Bengals game where, you know, obviously Joey Burrow's on the other side, but came with a great plan but i mean their offensive coordinator in my opinion is, is really good you see it with 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 browning um g- give me your final kind of and that was really the only time the bills ever got got in like a weather situation so tell us your opinion uh on what you think is going to happen and and why and give us a kind of kind of wrap us with a score so I, I think one thing to understand here is pittsburgh's got some crazy weather like like they like, like the, that stadium was right off the river i was just down there man like the the temperature was like supposed to be 25 it felt like three 
on, on that field and the winds was whipping around but that's why uh you know i was there for the steelers practice today and that's why they wanted to be there they wanted to say hey we got to get ready for these elements and we got to practice it and that's not it's not enough just to be on our own field we got to be in a place that's going to simulate that kind of environment and that's something like tomlin really believes in like you know during training camp he wants to practice at the hottest point of the day because he wants to see how miserable people are going to get during practice he wants to test your ultimate limits and that's where uh, the Steelers are trying to do today as far as, uh, you know, their practice. So that was a big part of that. Um, and I think it's going to play into this game for sure. But I think the Steelers, they, they're going to come prepared for the elements. The question I have is, are they going to be prepared for uh, the bill, the Bills front? Because if the Bills are able to control the line of scrimmage and not let Najee Harris and Jalen Warren pop off, they'll be able to control this game. If uh, But if the Steelers are able to get any room there, I think this becomes very interesting um, of all of the games, and I said this on my show uh, for uh, for the Wednesday episode, of all of the games that the Steelers and Bills have played in Tomlin versus McDermott, all but one have been close. And the element that I, that I see that pitches into all the ones the Steelers lost was subpar quarterback play, whether it was Devlin Hodges in 2019, he threw four interceptions, or Ben Roethlisberger when he threw two interceptions, one of them being a pick six in 2020. Uh, and then Ben Roethlisberger, you know, not being great, but just two, t- you know, I think he had one touchdown, maybe like 180 yards, but he had a pass rating of 83. That's all. That's all the Steelers want in this game. They don't want Mason Rudolph to be Josh Allen. They don't want Mason Rudolph to beat Josh Allen. They want Mason Rudolph to just steady, keep us steady in this game. That's where their plan is going to be in this game. And I think that they get a version of that in this game because he has he has responded to pressure well, both on the field and off the field from, you know, anything that could have been spun into controversy. I think this game goes down to the wire. I think it's a game where it's like 24-21, 23-18, some weird score like that. I think it comes down to it. I'm not I ha, I still haven't sold on my pick yet. I'm still going back and forth. I'm watching more Bills tape, you know, every day to kind of just gather more of matchups that I want to see. Uh, I'm a very film centric guy. Yep. Uh so I'm not going to I can't give y'all a final score of who's definitely going to I definitely think is going to win. Um but I can tell you that I, I think this is going to this is going to be a tough hard fought game between these two teams. And I think the the factors that play into it are, A, the trenches on either side. Whoever runs the ball best is going to have a big advantage. B, the turnovers. If Josh Allen turns the ball over and Mason Rudolph doesn't, that's another that's another advantage. But if the Bills turn Mason Rudolph over and Josh Allen controls the ball, that could turn this game into a blowout. Um, and C, um, I, I think that the, the, the Steelers, can their pass rush without T.J. Watt get home a little bit or at least – pressure Josh Allen and keep him from getting out of the pocket and creating with his legs. They do those three things. The Steelers have a good chance to win, but if they don't do two of those things, this game can get out of hand. And that's where the bills have a clear advantage. They're a better roster right now. This, this, this is a, this is a team that this could be their year. And I said, going into this week of the three teams, the Steelers could have drawn, you know, going into the last week of the playoffs, if they last week of the regular season, if they wanted to make the playoffs, the Chiefs, the Dolphins, the Bills. I said the Bills are the team that you least wanted if you were a Steelers fan because the Dolphins are really banged up. The Chiefs don't got no weapons outside of Travis Kelsey, 
And even with Patrick Mahomes, he's awesome and all that. But you could take away Kelsey and say, beat me with Justin Watson. I really do not care. Uh, but with the Bills, you got to worry about Diggs. You got to worry about Cook. You got to worry about Kincaid. You got to worry about Knox. You got to worry about Davis if he's healthy. And then you got to worry about Josh Allen's legs. And that's a yeah, whole that's a other one. problem. And, and like that's where I think the Bills – the Bills are like I, – I could easily see the AFC Championship being Ravens-Bills. Like I think that's it, it's that will be a heavyweight fight that everyone will stop to see. But I also know the Steelers – can be really annoying and that's what mike tomlin does his best work is just finding ways to just disrupt the things that you like to do if the steelers can get that it's going to be a close game i think it goes down to a coin flip of who just gets the right play in the right moment at the end that's why i think everyone should be tuning in sunday 1 p.m eastern time because it's going <laughs> to be right. a gang showdown yeah, I mean, since the seven seeds inception, let's see if the Steelers can change some luck. They're zero and six. They've been outscored by eighty mm-hmm. points total um, uh, in the in the seven two matchup. Bills have played some tight ones though, so that doesn't really. And they've played in this game often. Also, the TJ Watt one in ten stat. I mean, he's so good. He's like beside quarterback, he's like the one player. And maybe Miles Garrett. Like he's the one player. I actually I did a study on that. The Browns with Miles Garrett won like. 55% of the time okay. without miles Garrett was like 45% of the time with, with Sounds TJ right. Watt, the Steelers won like 70% of the time without him. They won like 10% of the time. And it was just like, it's that big of a difference. Now I will say this, this is the first year they have been as prepared as they are to handle his absence for at least a week or two, because Nick Herbig who went to Wisconsin learned from TJ Watt and you know has 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 been a very solid rookie for the Steelers. He has brought it, and Marcus Golden, a veteran that they brought in, has also brought it. They're going to have a rotation of three edge rushers healthy for this game that will be coming after Josh Allen, and he has to be prepared for that. Nick Herbig is sneaky good. Like he he has a ghost move that if you fall asleep as a tackle and like you you punch and you miss and you don't get ready to counter with another thing, he's gonna be up under you, past you, and Josh Allen's gonna need to look out because Nick Herbig is really good at that. There's a lot of people who feel like he could be like if he if if he continues to develop the way he is, he could be the next big edge rusher for the Steelers. And they already got two of them in High Smith and Watt. So that won't be easy, but that'll be, you know, Watt not being on the field is a certain hurt piece for the Steelers because he, when he's on there, it makes everyone else so much better. Yeah, the Bills, the, the Bills way that they've attacked like Micah Parsons and some of the better edge rushers in the league too, they run right at him. Uh, that's mm-hmm. something that Joe Brady likes to do, um, and Parsons really struggled with it. So excited to see what the Bills do to handle some of those pass rushers uh, in this game uh, and see how that plays a final factor in it uh, ultimately. You know, Herbig's look nice. I and mean, a lot of people, you know, if they, if they don't watch a lot of film on Greg Rousseau knows how disruptive he can be. Uh, kind of reminds me of early Greg Rousseau in that regards of like, you can't throw screens on that guy. Um, like he, he is absolutely disruptive and I'm interested to see Herbig. I've heard some good things about him. Um, so I'm interested to see him put it all together against a pretty decent looking bills line for the most part. Uh, it has been fairly good, especially the tackle positions, both Deion Dawkins and uh, Spencer Brown at this point in the season are playing super well. Um, and Mitch Morris is just steady in the center. But Chris, tell us what you're working on this week. Appreciate you coming on. Uh, as always, giving us your time. Tell us what do you what do you got going on? What's going on inside the locker room? What's going on in the show? You know, in case there's any Bills fans that want to track you up until Sunday. Absolutely, you can check me out on the Locked On Steelers podcast on uh, on on all your favorite podcasting apps and on YouTube. Uh, we have our crossover Thursday with Joe Marino of Locked On Bills. That'll be a a fun episode to watch there as well. If you want more break more of our breakdowns and back and forth on how this game could go uh, for the Pittsburgh post Gazette, go to post gazette.com. I've done my film study on the ways the Steelers have 
you know, created space in the ground game. If you want to see my specifics as far as how they're doing it, there's there. I'm working on another film room. It's either going to be Joey Porter Jr. and how he's countered other top-level receivers versus what Stephon Diggs loves to do. Uh, that um, Either that or it's going to be what Mason Rudolph has done well to be a good game manager for the Steelers in these games. Either one, there should be at least one more uh, film study that comes out. Uh, so check check me out at the Pittsburgh Post Gazette. Check me out at the Locked On Steelers podcast, and uh, uh, also I'll be on with uh, Jenna Harner for the Channel Eleven Final Word Show after the game Sunday night on our okay. local at WPXI station. Well, excited to have you up here. I'm assuming are you coming up? Are you coming up to the town? I, I am not because be, because I got I got to be in studio for that uh, oh, after gotcha. the game. I'm not going to be able to get to Buffalo, drive back, and then get right back on. <laughs> I know Jenna's usually in town, so she probably isn't this time. I'm assuming. Yeah, um, she'll she'll be like there remote. You know, she'll be there for the game, and then like probably like casting in while gotcha. we're doing the shows at, in, in the station. Makes perfect sense. Well, excited to see that. That's probably going to be a good good segment. Um, and really appreciate you coming on. So thank you so much to Chris. Thank you for giving us your input on the Steelers. And then as it pertains to the Bills, and look forward to some of those film studies. Those are always uh, pretty pretty cool to see. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for popping on, though, for us. Thanks, guys. Yeah, see you soon. That was Chris Carter. Really great, uh, really great guest. We got some great guests out of Pittsburgh, out of the AFC North, Kevin. But let's bring it home. As always, this show is brought to you by Sons of Erie as well as Summit Center, some of the best autism care in Western New York. Uh, they help kids and adults of all disabilities uh, get the needs that they have. Uh, so we're really proud to have them as part of our sponsorship. And once again, this show is brought to you by Tuscany Market and Deli in Fredonia, as well as Dave Dangler and Larson Timco Funeral Home in Fredonia. Larson Timco Funeral Home, offering 100% fully guaranteed price and pre-arranged funeral plans with live streaming available. Awesome. Appreciate our sponsors. Really cool to have those, all of them uh, on pace. And, and, and follow us, too, on, on all of our social media and, and on Built in Buffalo and the Going Deep Buffalo to see some of the things that they do for the community as well. We will be sending out social media posts as well and uh, always appreciate all the listeners. But Kevin, we got a final segment here. Uh, it was really great stuff there. Chris was, Chris was bringing it. Uh, he was giving us some good film study, um, but it's time to kind of talk our final segments and uh, kind of get into what he said, what you believe to be true and, and more time. I mean, I think it's time to wrap in the predictions. Um, so Kevin, give us what you're thinking happens in this game. Uh, you're first again. Uh, I think you got a game over me with that Eagles loss. I did not predict that. So with that run you went on, you 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 took the lead. Um, so tell us what you think is going to happen here in this game and and why. Well, do we have a few minutes? Can I go over some team stats real quick before we get into the final numbers and predictions? Yeah, I think we got a quick wanna... minute. Okay, because I think it's important to look at what we're dealing with here because – I have a takeaway that I will save for after I show you these numbers, because first of all, here we go with the offense. So it's Buffalo all day here. Total offense, passing, rushing and scoring. I mean, the numbers are skewed because of Matt Canada and Kenny Pickett, Mitch Trubisky. But the Bills offense is just so much better than the Steelers offense. Now. The defense, I thought, okay, maybe the Steelers' defense will make up some ground on the Bills. But really, it was pretty much all Buffalo again. Total defense, the Bills have them beat. Passing, rushing, just by a little bit, but they still have them beat. And then scoring, too. But that's the interesting part right there. So the takeaway that I have... They let up a ton of yards. Man, they let up a ton of yards. So basically, 
I think that the Steelers have a bend but don't break mentality. As much as we talk about that with the Bills, it seems like the Steelers do that. But they give up a ton of yards, but then they can clamp down once it gets into crunch time in, in the red zone. And it's interesting because last week we were saying how Miami was kind of the opposite, where you know you can't really move the ball on them, but then once you do move the ball and they get in the red zone, that's where they give up their points. So it's kind of like you're working with the opposite here, where you can move the ball in the Steelers' defense, at least based on these numbers, but then they know how to tighten up. Now it's huge that they're going to be missing TJ Watt because that brings me to my final point, getting into the additional stats. This is where I think the Steelers can beat the Bills. Turnovers. The Steelers are tied for third in the league with a plus 11 turnover ratio, and the Bills are tied for 12th with a plus two differential. And if you remember, that's how the Steelers were able to beat the Bills in the 2021 opener with that block punt. So I think that is going to be the answer for Pittsburgh. If they want to beat the Bills, the Bills are going to have to beat themselves. Josh Allen's going to have to turn the ball over. As much as we talked about how we have to ride or die with Josh being Josh and doing his thing, well, he's going to have to be very careful that, especially if it's snowing and if it's as windy as they say, because the Steelers will pounce on these opportunities. Now, the Bills have done very well with takeaways, as you can see with this graphic, but the Steelers are very good with not giving the ball up. So that's how you see that plus 11 turnover differential and then for what it's worth you know buffalo has the edge with sacks and i mean they have a huge edge with point differential so my takeaway before we get into our score predictions if the steelers have any chance it's going to come down to that right there they're going to have to hope that josh has two or three turnovers again and like chris said mason rudolph is just going to have to manage the game Najee harris is going to do his thing and the steelers are going to win like a classic pittsburgh steeler game Tough defense, running game, grind it out, enjoy the elements, you know, all the cliches. I think that is going to be their route to victory. So that being said, I think if the Bills can have a clean 60 minutes of football, there's no reason why they should lose. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing to remember about those statistics, too, is they don't give the wall away a lot. Um, but I think the elements help Josh Allen. He's not going to be crazy in them. I think that's the time when he's actually the best um, in terms of these. He, he doesn't have pristine conditions it's not 70 out in Miami it's not in a dome he can't be as reckless and I think when when he thinks about that I, I think that you would think it's the opposite to where um in, in these sloppy conditions you'll get jo I mean I think you'll get better version of a backyard Josh in terms of you know more carries in the snow he's I mean he's definitely going to carry the ball a ton uh take some hits it's, it's the, the hits are going to hurt more on the uh on the defense too making those hits uh against a huge running back also like they let up a ton of yards you can't do that against offensive teams you can do that against the against the the browning led bengals um at times against you know the, the browns even pre pre flacco like you, you can't do that against offensive teams you can't let up that many yards um or that the negative 20 score differential starts to creep up um so the, the yardage has been but don't break but they haven't played anybody uh seattle you know a backup baltimore team uh the, the bengals twice with backup quarterbacks uh they, they really haven't played anyone since the switch uh, we saw this with Duck Hodges too. Um, like came in hot. Like seriously, they were talking about him being the, like basically the way they're talking about Rudolph or more. 
Um, and I mean, look terrible. Like Sean McDermott is really good against quarterbacks in the bottom 12 of the league. Uh, I, I'm sorry. He's playing good football. I'm not putting him in the top, t- uh, the top 15 right now in quarterback play. Uh, and Sean McDermott is absolutely uh, really good in those situations. I don't believe that the Steelers offense will be the reason that they win. Uh, they'd have to do something special on defense. And I just think hoping Josh Allen makes mistakes is great. Maybe he does once. Um, it's just not the way to beat it. Like you just don't have that special player to me to go ahead and get it done. And that's ultimately what I see. And we can minimize the 19 sacks with like a rookie defensive end. I've heard that a lot. Um, but ultimately that's way too much. Like, like that's too much to overcome. Like one in 10 without this player, uh, maybe you have some decent replacement behind him. Uh, but that brings their total sack total to, to the bottom, towards the bottom of the league. Um, ultimately, it's it's his time to shine, but he's going to go be going against a, a veteran offensive line, pretty pretty veteran heavy offensive line, uh, and it's it might be just a little bit too much. So we'll have to see um, what's done there. And um, their DBs have struggled throughout the season. Um, they're back healthy, but missing TJ Watt is going to be a big factor in this football game. Yeah, two points that I want to make off of that. First, with what you were saying about how sometimes the weather actually helps Josh because then he knows, okay, I can't be as reckless. Like you said, in Miami, okay, it's 70 degrees. I can kind of have my way, just chuck some balls down the field where a fourth and three, that can kind of be like a long punt, even though it's an interception, you know? So look at that 2021 playoff game versus the Patriots. When we thought, oh man, the weather, the Patriots just came here during the hurricane game and they took it to the Bills and they only threw the ball three times. What's going to happen in the playoffs? And then you start to see a different Josh Allen where he is just a different beast. He had five touchdowns, four incompletions, a perfect game. The Bills scored every time they touched the ball. So I'm starting to get some vibes from previous playoff runs. And if you saw the clip today that I tweeted out when Alex Brasky of the Batavia Daily News said, Josh, it came out today from the NFLPA that no Bills are on the All-Pro team. How do you feel about that? And he goes... Go Bills. And then he walked off the set. So I think that is going to fuel the fire for Josh Allen and this Bills team. And I think that as long as he does not turn the ball over, we could be in for a heater by Josh Allen. Okay. It's time. For, it's now it's time, man. Um, give you some real quick advanced analytics now to kind of supplement the box score stats. Uh, obviously, the Bills have stood around the third ranked DVOA for a while now, and they kind of floored two and three all season, dropped a little bit during that, that negative stretch, third in the league in pass. Um, six, seventh in the league against uh, uh, rushing the ball as well. So they've they've had some really good analytics, uh, passing a third and passing seventh and rushing. You look at the Steelers, 20th in passing. I don't know if that's going to be good enough. 12th in rushing. It's still not dominant. It's not the Ravens' uh, rush offense, not even the Detroit Lions' rush offense, not even the 49ers or Dolphins. Uh, they run the ball good, but 12th, it's not dominant. It's actually worse than the Bills. So, like, I like Najee Harris. The Bills are really good against big running backs. They always have been lately uh, since they've started to shut down Derrick Henry's, uh, Josh Jacobs. Like, they're good against bigger backs. It's the A-chans uh, of the world that do seem to nip the Bills uh, at times. Those speed, you know, Bryce Halls, those speed backs uh, that can get there in a hurry. So, Jalen Warren's definitely more of a worry. We'll see if some of that's neutralized, though, with the, uh, with the wind and snow, uh, which it might be. Uh, like it would be for Cook, but I don't know if Najee Harris plotting. Um, like he's definitely going to get some hard yards, but he's the kind of running back that the Bills do bottle up. And I do think Mason Rudolph's got to be a little bit more special than game manager. Like that is not playoff football to be a game manager. Like unless you think you're dominant, like you're that dominant across the board, like the Ravens team was with Dilfer, 
other than that, like you can't be a game manager. You've got to be special than that. Unless Josh really decombusts just as totally um, has a horrific game outside of that. You cannot just be a game man. You have to be elite. You don't have to be perfect, uh, but you need to be a little bit more than a game manager. So the Steelers offense is certainly uh, even with uh, the addition there, they haven't really uh, done too much. And then even turn the ball to the defensive side. Uh, you know, like you mentioned, um, you know, they're, they're ninth against the pass DVOA that, you know, great for that or six against the pass, excuse me, and ninth against the rush. So ultimately like, um, decent and good, but, um, they give up a ton of yards. They do buckle down, as you mentioned, uh, when it's in crunch time and inside the 20, but, uh, those are some advanced stats. Kevin, bring us home, give us some score predictions, uh, you know, for this game. Well, the other point that I was going to make, which will transition us into my final prediction here is I'm glad you brought this up with Chris, because if you didn't, I was going to. And that was how Patrick Peterson went on that podcast last year after the Vikings beat beat the Bills in overtime, thanks to that Patrick Peterson game-ending interception. And he said, I knew where the ball was going because Gabe Davis only runs the same three routes. So I got to thinking about that. And it's interesting because they've been lining up at corner and safety. And now with Gabe Davis with that PCL sprain, whether he plays or not, this is a very stingy defense. And off of my point about the turnovers, when you have someone like Patrick Peterson, a veteran presence, and Levi Wallace, who used to play with Josh Allen and this Bills defense, they are going to know what the Bills want to do. I just have that feeling it's going to be one of those tough, grinded out games. I don't think it's going to be a 38 to 3 shellacking like we saw last year, especially with the weather. So I think. We will see some of those plays, but I think Josh is going to be very smart. And to my point earlier, he is going to go on a run here and it starts this week against Pittsburgh. So I have Buffalo winning 27 to 17. Okay. 27, 17. I think that's fair. We'll see if they can get that high scoring with the elements, you know, as an update right now, uh, Sunday during the day, uh, windy with occasional snow showers, high of 24. So not, freezing but cold uh winds uh west southwest at 20 to 30 miles per hour which uh hope it sticks around more than 20 because then i think that factors factors rudolph but i don't think it factors josh um we'll see if his accuracy for rudolph uh even with his big arm we'll see how that looks chance of snow 60 percent, you know so it's not crazy high not in the 80s um that you know not not you know 90 percent snow and only one to three inches um so we'll see i like the, the more wind that's possible uh, but not getting crazy like the, the New England game was like 40 mile per hour winds. Uh, we want to keep that right in the 20 range because then I think it affects them and not the Bills. Uh, so we'll see how that determines in this game. I'm, I'm having a tick lighter than you. I just don't think they have the, the the weapons that you need. Like this isn't a regular season game. This isn't going down to uh, Jacksonville with Sleepy on a Sleepy Sunday, you know, six and six, Jacksonville, you know, whatever. Uh, this is the playoffs. You need you need your big guns, and they're missing their biggest one. Their essential quarterback plays just plays defense, nineteen sacks, probably defensive player of the year or or second. Um, just disrupts games, and we'll get your offense back to the ball. Essentially, an offensive player. So ultimately, like huge loss. Like regardless of how maybe a rookie is playing behind them, um, you know, ultimately, I don't know that that's going to to help them enough. But I have it a tick lower scoring than you just because of the weather elements. I got 24-14. The Bills have held everybody to 16 points uh, in this uh, lately uh, over the course of the last seven weeks. 
Um, you know, their yardage has been like, you know, 275 yards a game. I mean, they're just doing good, good things against top offenses. Uh, I'm sure he'll have a drive. Najee Harris will be running and everyone will be like, he's running down our throats. Um, and I'll hear that at least once. I, I swear it'll happen. If not, they don't have any chance. But if you don't say that at least once, uh, I'd be shocked this, this week that he's running down our weekend side. And then all of a sudden they'll stop him like they do every third quarter. Um, that they have lately until they don't do that anymore. I'm going to think that just because he has a good second quarter drive or first quarter drive uh, that they won't be able to stop Najee Harris. The Bills are absolutely going to kick off and give him the ball and show what they have. Put your script. Also put your best plays out early. That's what the Bills make you do. Like you, you're going against the Bills. They make you press and they make you want to go beat them early and you'll see some success, but you've also used your scripted plays and your best plays. It's like, you know, when you have a Trump card in your hand in, in Euchre or any, any game, um, ultimately you've played your hand now. Now you need to be really good because the Bills now know some of your better plays. Uh, I don't know that the Steelers offense is holding anything back for the fourth quarter with Mason Rudolph. That's what I mean. Like, can he be a game manager? Sure. But are they going to try to get ahead and you utilize all their cards? And yeah, you'll see some field goals, some touchdowns against the Bills defense, but the Bills will then know what you're doing and they adjust real quickly with their disguise coverage, just like the Steelers do. Um, and I, I just think the Steelers um, just don't have enough pieces uh, on this roster but it's, it is still a very decent looking roster. I just don't think they have enough uh, to get it done uh, in this specific uh, environment. We'll see what their offseason brings because a couple, couple right pieces and that's a completely different watt back and a couple of different pieces. And that's a completely different uh, determination. In my opinion, I don't, they don't have the linebackers. They don't, they don't have linebackers. Like that was a missed thing. We didn't talk about, we talked a little bit about it. No linebacking play there. And now without TJ Watt, yes, you have a nice looking high Smith, but he's a defensive end in theory. Um, so, you know, ultimately their D line is still pretty good. Um, and the rush is so decent. Um, but behind that, I'm, I'm just not fighting Minka now coming back. I'm just not worried about, um, KZ who's not that good in the first place. Um, Levi Wallace is not good. Patrick Peterson hasn't played good football at all. Uh, this season Porter has been good. Um, you know, we'll see what we get from their slot position. He mentioned, uh, Chris mentioned it being a strong position for them. I'm interested. I'm interested to see that because uh, some of the film I've watched on uh, Shandon Sullivan is he struggles against the run too. So all I'm saying, run at Levi Wallace, run at Shandon Sullivan, uh, run at Alex Highsmith and, um, you know, make, put their, put their linebackers in a lot of pressure. So that's what I think. Uh, finally, Kevin, give us some final wrap up thoughts today. We appreciate everybody sticking on for an hour and 45 minutes, but bring us home with a final takeaway. So my final takeaway is that in the midst of this five-game winning streak for the Bills, three out of those five games have come down to the defense making a game-ending stop. And as much as we talk about Josh Allen being the driving force, which he is, I think we forget sometimes that Sean McDermott's defense has come up clutch against Kansas City, the Chargers, and now the Dolphins too. And that being said, a lot of different guys are stepping up. And with all the injuries that the Bills have sustained, it's good news that most of them are day-to-day, -day, but, you know, Rasul Douglas, Tyrell Dodson, and then if you want to go back as far as Matt Milano and Trey White, and then with the offensive side with Gabe Davis, the point is the Bills are going to have to keep getting guys to step up and be ready to play. And then two final quick points. They also need McDermott to be aggressive like he's been as of late. I've really liked seeing that, and I respect that, the way he's changed his philosophy. And the last thing I'll say is that we just need to ride out and enjoy the Josh Allen experience because with the stingy defense like Pittsburgh and with the weather the way it's supposed to be, we might see an interception. But don't fret because he will be back for the fourth quarter. <laughs> that's 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 my point is like 
I will never be mad when it gets to when it gets to two and three and four. And my takeaway thought when he gets to two and three and four interceptions, okay, there starts to become a problem, uh, especially when he's doing it in the fourth quarter too. Uh, that's that's when it's okay to start being concerned um, in this game uh, or in a game in general. But he's just been like I said. I mean, he's put his position team in position when 15 games. I mean, ultimately the Jags game, it's just a weird game. They weren't really there. They weren't in London and their defense was just not there. Um, and they still almost, you know, they still put a little bit of pressure on in that game. If they could have played a lick of defense, um, you know, the Jets game wasn't great either. They still came back and, and brought it to overtime, needed a punt return. And my final takeaway is what you just said. When teams go for it like they should, McDermott's third in the league. He's up there with the other top coaches or perceived top coaches in the league. Um, he makes the right decisions. He also has the least amount of 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 war wins against replacement um, lost. Um, so meaning when he kicks the ball and kicks field goals or even punts, he makes the right decision. Meaning the win probability um, reverse is 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 lower in terms. So he doesn't lose a lot of war just because he kicks it. And here is when they go for it when they should. He's an 80% uh, making the right. He, he, he is, he is making good game day decisions. The only thing left that I still hear is this, this he makes bad game day. He doesn't, that's not really the issue uh, from Sean McDermott. Uh, occasionally he calls a weird timeout. Like I don't love the defensive timeouts either. That's not my favorite thing, uh, but uh, he does it. It's, it's, it's most notably in the 13 second game when he took a bunch of them and they didn't do anything. Um, that's mostly what sticks out in people's head. But generally speaking, uh, the Bills have adjusted a couple of timeouts, uh, both sides of the ball, uh, that have worked out fairly well uh, for the team, like the one where he called a timeout, and then they went under center and ran a, ran a, uh, a sneak. Um, and the Bills just running that sneak. You know, the, the Dolphins were able to stop it, which is interesting. Uh, but I also think Josh thought he got that last one, or he's definitely reaching harder. Um, because even if you turn it over, it's the same thing as not getting it there. So ultimately, like, I do think he got that and kind of just misjudged it a little bit, but ultimately uh, they ran it back to back. And that's the other time he was prior to the low, that last drive, Josh had never been stopped and he did happen to get stopped twice. Once he then converted on fourth down on the 35 and the last one was a turnover on downs, but the bills had done enough at that point. Well, uh, they, they left him with a little bit of time where the defense has come up big. Um, so. With that being said, in the Going Deep Buffalo show, we really appreciate all of our sponsors the Summit Center, Larson Timco, Sons of Erie, www.sonsoferie.com, and Tuscany Market in Delhi. Uh, we really appreciate all of them for being on the show. Please smash that like button for us. That is very helpful. It helps us bring content. Leave your score prediction. Leave some comments. We'll bring you clips all week. Uh, you know, really, this is a really important week, and we look forward to a potential rematch against the Chiefs if they can get it done. And also... Maybe it's the Browns or Texans in town next weekend as well. Uh, that's uh, th Those are your three matchups, KC, Cleveland, uh, or Houston. I like Houston. I don't think they can play up in these elements with a rookie quarterback, Sean McDermott's. I know I like Stroud, but Sean McDermott's record against rookie quarterbacks uh, is, is really great. Uh, so I'd like to see them, not another cold weather team like Cleveland uh, come in here and obviously don't want to really see Mahomes. Uh, I'm not wishing to see Stroud. I just think that total uh, the total package of Houston having to come out here um, it would be too much if they can even uh, come by Cleveland, but at least they get Cleveland at home, which gives them a shot. So watch out for those games. The Bills will know the result going into their game, who they would play with a win, uh, which is very interesting. Both teams get a day of rest over the Bills. If the Bills win uh, this week, another day of rest given to Houston, Cleveland, or Kansas City. And Steelers do have an extra week, and they did get healthy at the right time. Minus If they got TJ Watt, they'd be a fairly healthy team, minus linebacking. Um, but um, missing him, uh, takes a big bite on the bills did incur at least some fringe injuries uh 
and we'll see. I don't know when we'll see Rasul Douglas. We may see Dodson uh, if he plays hurt through the shoulder, uh, which is possible. Um, you know, obviously we'll see Dawkins, but will we see Gabe Davis? I would still like to have him as much heat as he takes. I think he does do something well, does not look probable, but it does look probable that most of those guys play next week. So the Bills uh, will get, a, and then they get Phillips back too. So the Bills will get back their full complement of rosters uh, if they get through this game and when they get through this game, because I do believe the Bills do have enough talent to get this done. But Kevin, really appreciate all of our listeners for coming on to the Going Deep Buffalo show. Uh, and the built-in Buffalo network, check out the Buffalo basement tomorrow on Thursday. Um, you know, bringing you some action as well as the Buffalo blitz. And we have some great shows across the network here on, you know, throughout the week as well. And maybe some new shows to come on the built-in Buffalo network. So we're proud to be here. We're proud to watch this thing grow, watch for giveaways, watch for all of our takes. Kevin's got some good stuff going on there on his Twitter. Uh, my Twitter, obviously you can find all my thoughts as well. And as well as our main Going Deep Buffalo podcast Twitter, uh, we have it. And, you know, hopefully we'll bring you some clips on, on that as well as time goes on. But from Kevin, that's Kevin. We really appreciate everybody coming out tonight and hoping for some divisional round playoff games again uh, in consecutive four consecutive seasons uh, to see some divisional round playoffs. Uh, and that's ultimately all a team can hope for is the most the, the biggest record uh, they, they have the current record with the Chiefs of winning at least one playoff game. Uh, isn't quite like this Dalton or, or Marty Schottenheimer of just going one and done. The Bills do uh, advance in an epic proportion. So I do believe they keep that streak going uh, and get in another, get in another playoff in 2020, 2021, 2022, and 2023. So hopefully they go four straight, which like AFC title, AFC's titles with a win uh, and you know, hopefully further. But that'll do it for us tonight. We really appreciate everybody tuning in. Kevin and Kevin, we'll catch you next week right here at, at this time and hopefully talking about our next matchup, one of three. We'll catch you guys soon.